What is going on, guys? We are back at the Pizza Podcast. Let's give a round of applause for Michael Vittorio's over here. We're gonna do this right for you guys. All right, give me, give me a second. Give me, I'm giving you a second. Yeah. Push all the buttons so like that. You know all the buttons. Push all the buttons real quick. Yeah. Okay. All right. This is what happens when you start a podcast. You figure it out. All right. Well, Michael Vittorio hey. is on the podcast today. Good to see you, brother. How Always are a you? pleasure. Always good, a pleasure. Good, good, good. How are you? I am well. I am well. So Michael Vittorio is the owner of Vittorio's Italian Steakhouse as well as Mike's Pizza. Um, me and Mikey met a couple years ago. Uh and now we have become the bestest of friends. Uh, Vittorio's is one of the most amazing restaurants I've ever been to. Uh, they age their own steak on premises. They do uh, a lot of amazing pasta dishes. They really put a lot into their craft. And Mike's Underground Pizza, which is at a secret location, it's available uh, only if you're a member, um, has exploded uh in the past few years and uh they're doing crazy so uh it's great to have you on let's uh let's talk some shit so mikey uh how did this all start like where you know you're obviously italian american where uh how long ago did you open up vittorio's uh vittorio's opened up in 2002 Okay. February on on Valentine's Day actually Valentine's Day two thousand two so two thousand two so how wait, wait I'm bad at math it's about uh, nineteen uh, years nineteen years wow yeah nineteen years so uh, how did that all get like you 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 started off in the the pizza business when you were young right yeah yeah so how old were you your father out of place so tell me about that yeah. I mean, you want to go in the beginning of time? Let's go to the beginning of time. Let's uh, let's start. Well, it, it all off. started. <laughs> <laughs> well, back in uh, I guess it was sixty six, nineteen sixty six. My father, he was a merchant marine. Okay. So uh, he ships going to a bunch of different ports throughout the whole world, and uh, he finally got to America. And when he got here, all his friends were here and they were uh, making money, doing their thing, buying Cadillacs, doing this, sending money home, who's building big houses and stuff. So when he got here and he uh, docked at, in Baltimore, Baltimore he docked at, just jumped ship, just okay. jumped, sh jumped ship and just made his way up to Brooklyn. Nice. And uh, worked with a couple of friends in the uh, restaurants and pizzerias, dishwashing and things like that. And that's where he uh, honed his craft making pizza and running a restaurant. And then uh, doing that for about uh, two years, a year and a half, immigration came in. Okay. Back in the day, they used to come in with their badges. Immigration, and everybody used to scatter. This is like before I, like ICE wasn't even an agency back then, right? What was it back then? I, I don't, I don't know. know. I mean, it was. it was immigration. It was, yeah. uh, I mean, customs, I guess. I don't know if, if, yeah, if, like if they customs. had that. Yeah, I don't know if they had that title, ICE. We're going to have to look that up sometime. But they had, they, <laughs> they, they, those, those guys were always around. Right, right, right. You know? Busted, busted, uh, hardworking Italian Americans. Yeah, yeah. So seven days a week, 70, 70 hours a day, eight days a week, whatever. And uh, they caught them and they sent them to, uh, 
to prison or detention or whatever you want to call it. Detention? And they sent him back to Italy? No, no, they had to send him to the detention first. Okay. So he stayed there for two weeks, and he told me, he's like, listen, Mike, the best two weeks of my life. <laughs> the vacation. best two weeks. It was vacation. No work. He was getting fed. He was watching TV. He could make phone calls and just waiting for the plane to come in to take him to Italy. Right, right, right. So that's what happened. So he went back to Italy. Okay. And um, he actually met my mom. That's in where Italy? It, right, in the same town. Okay. In the same town. They met each other, and uh, <clears throat> it just so happens that, you know, the next year, her uncle... My mother's uncle uh, sponsored the whole family to come over here to America. Mm-hmm. And they had um, uh, the green cards, social security numbers, and everything waiting for them when they got off the airplane. So now she was legal. Oh, wow. Yeah, so she was legal. They, and, and she's married to him, which makes him legal. No, then uh, she stayed here for, for maybe, a, a, maybe less than a year or so. All right. Went to Italy. Married him. Oh, okay. Just so at a piece. Just at a piece. No. Right. Boy, fiance. Fiance. And uh, married him and brought him right over. Nice. Brought him right over. And then that, after and that's, that. That's what, like 66, 68? That was, uh, my mother landed in, uh, landed here in 67 or 68 on the cusp. All right. And uh, yeah, so 69 is when my old man made it here again. <clears throat> went to all his buddies, worked in the pizzerias again until everybody saved up their money. In 1969, <clears throat> they came out to where we are now, or was, in Amityville, after they had multiple other pizzerias of Flatbush. I think my father had a place in Atlantic City. Who knows? That lasted so, like... So he had these pizzerias like after he came over, you know, with your mother, right? Yeah, after he came over, then, you yeah. know, all the brothers, brother-in-laws and everybody, you know, chipped money and everybody would buy a place. Okay. So finally sold everything they had in Brooklyn, except their apartment, of course, where they lived on off of Court Street, uh, President President Street. They came out to Long Island. They found a place over here in uh, in Amityville, and that's it. That's where uh, that's where everything started right there. And uh, they used to travel back and forth to Amityville. I mean, to to Brooklyn. Um, so they finally all chipped in and bought a house in Amityville. And they all stayed in that house in Amityville. And when you say all chipped in, we're talking about your mother, your father, and who else? <clears throat> it was my father and, uh, and the two brothers. The two, my mother's two brothers. So I guess your his brother, brother-in-laws. I, I met... You met Uncle, uh, you met Uncle, uh, Uncle Frank. Uncle Frank. Uncle Frank's a good guy. Yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah, a really yeah. good guy. What's going on with him now? He's back in Italia, right? Yeah, he, well, he came back here. He, he uh, did what he had to do as far as, you know, taking care of uh, whatever kids he has over here and uh, made a couple extra dollars by selling whatever interests he had. And now he's in uh, Italy again full time. Nice. So what, um, when... So what year does Mike's Pizza that your father opened in Amityville actually open? It, it opened up in 69 just as it was going into 1970. And then what year are you born? 1971. 1971. So two years later, little Mikey, little Michael Vittorio Esposito comes into the world. Right. And then uh, how, how old were you? You started going into work with them? Like, Well, I, I was born in Brooklyn, and they were still driving back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Okay. So... You know, finally, I you know I was I don't know going on to two when they finally bought the place in Amityville. All right. Um, yeah. And then was your mother working the place? Like how, how did that? Like- my mother, my mother was uh, is a seamstress. She went to school to be a seamstress. So when she first came here to uh, to uh, America, 
Tentiles. I mean, you used to always see that sign off of uh, Gowanus Parkway. So she was a seamstress in a big factory over here in, uh, in Gowanus okay. for, for a little while. Uh, <laughs> but when, when finally everybody got together, opened up a pizzeria, yeah, she was in a pizzeria all the time. Doing what she had to do, make pizzas, waitress, cook dinners, whatever it was. Whatever needed, whatever needed yeah, to be whatever, done. Whatever need doing. She did it all. She did it all, you know, until it got to a point where it's like, okay, well, it's getting busy and uh, the kids are getting older and, you know, got another one on the way. Right. What are we going to do? That's it. So now, uh, what, what, when did you start going into the pizzeria? Like, how old are you? Yeah. Well, there's a lot of good stories. I mean, you know. Tell, to, we, to, that, to, that's what we're here for. We're here to hear some good <laughs> stories. Tell a story. Well, the church that we belong to is right right behind the pizzeria. So it was always a treat coming into the pizzeria as a little kid, getting your slice, you know, sit down, don't, don't, you know, sit down, here's your slice. They cut in those little squares, you know. Right. My favorite part when I used to get to the end of the slice is dunk it into the Coca-Cola. It was just a something. I still do it to this day. I don't know what it is. Dunk it slices of Coca-Cola. Just the crust. Just the crust. <laughs> it, 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 it goes good. Coke and a slice. Yeah. Nothing, nothing, nothing beats that. So uh, actually, so how my career started in the pizzeria business, you know, it started as a form of, you know, punishment, I guess. You know, if you weren't good, you had to go to work, you know? Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you, were you happy to go, though, or were you like, this sucks? Well, of course, you know, when you have to leave your friends. Right. You know, of course, this sucks. But, you know, once you got there, you had other friends there. So what are you doing? Like, I'm always curious about, you know what I'm saying? Because we're obviously from a little bit of a different generation. Like, what, what were you leaving? Were you guys riding around bikes? You guys were fucking around? Like, what was going on in Amityville with Michael Vittorio and his little gang? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly that. Just, just, you know, just, you know, but was typical there, things that, you know, an eight, nine, ten-year-old would do. Um was it things that like what about what about I guess what I'm asking is like was it things that like you know maybe um I I wouldn't know about or like your kids wouldn't know about that went on that were normal things back then but like Well, you know, I mean I mean you saw you start getting well, you start getting into teenage years then you know you you have your uh, you do your little bad things or whatever yeah. but you know when you're still young and kind of innocent you know whatever so when i say got in trouble it was inside the house aggravating my mom or fighting with the brothers that kind of stuff okay. later on when i became like you know 14 15 that's that's when you know real trouble kind of started coming around right but that's 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 another story so so what was your first what did you learn how to make your first pizza that, that's just it so when i used to go to the pizzeria you know, you're just you're just immersed by it. Your father does it. You know, that's that's all you talked about. You know, everything revolved around the pizzeria. Everything, just how it was. You know, and just going to the pizzeria, just just being, you know, surrounded by it, <clears throat> and just watching my father make the pizza, watching, you know, everybody, just whoever worked there making pizzas. And you just you just saw it. That's why I, f I feel like that age, nine, ten years old. If you if you start doing something, you kind of get it right away mm. so <clears throat> about i don't know nine years old you're you know I, I i really started you know wanted to i just picked up dough and i just mimicked exactly what my what i you know my father used to do just mimic just you know by by remembering right. and my i'm like you know forget my mother and my father standing right there watching me and they like you know they're like like this you know 
And you know, now looking back, now looking back and looking at my father's face, when he like this, he got like dollar signs in his face. He like he's like, great, I can I can fight I can fight this guy. I can fight this guy and still make money. So yeah, so I so so and then I just crafted, you know, by ten years old, eleven years old, I was really good. I was really yeah. good. You're banging out pies. <clears throat> like you banging out do. pies. I would make pies when there was no customers there, just for slices. <clears throat> just for slices. And uh, this one time, <clears throat> I'm making a pie. This guy comes in. What is a pie? It was two guys there actually. So one guy comes in. He he, uh, he orders a pie. He's like, but I don't want the kid to make it. I don't want that kid to make my pie. Why? Yeah, I don't want that kid to make my pie. No, 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 he's not making your pie. He's not making your pie. Don't worry about it. This is for him. Right. So. <laughs> you make the pie, yeah, I mean, why? No. Nah. So, so that's it. I got it away. The old man made the pie. Then the other guy that was there is like, I want to order a pie, too, with pepperoni, but I want the kid to make it. Oh, okay. So, so, and the other guy is just standing, not saying nothing. So as soon as my old man was done with the pie, I made the pie with pepperoni for the other guy, and that was it. So every time this guy came in, and if I was there, he always told me to make the pie. He always gave me a dollar tip. You made a good, good pie, kid. That's I'm like, nice. great. So, you know, it made me feel good, you know? Yeah. So, so just from that, it just, you know, just I wanted to do more. Right. You know, and I, that's how I got hooked. And I've been making pieces ever since, man. So so when did you start, like, really doing shifts and really getting into the business? And what was that like, you know? Yeah. I would, yeah. 10, 11, 12, you know? So you do a full so, shifts at 12 So, so it was old. after school, after school. Yeah. You know, I think more in seventh grade. Seventh grade. I think I was working three days what days you know i had to go right you know it was an activity people you know kids go play soccer or they play baseball or they go to cub scouts that's their activity my activity was to go to the pizzeria and do what i had to do right. you know and i learned so much 100. i learned so much so so what like i know I, I met your mother a bunch of times i love her sweetheart she by the way guys if you guys don't know uh, uh mrs esposito she is the best thing ever she uh, has a crazy garden. She has chickens. Um, fresh eggs. Fresh eggs all the time. Uh, she makes fresh pasta. It's amazing. Uh, what was it like, like growing up? Like, cause you were, I mean, I gotta imagine, like, your parents didn't really speak English that well. Right. Well, when I when when I first started school, kindergarten, I I spoke Italian. I didn't speak English. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It was it was it was it was it was bad. That's all I knew how to speak was it was Italian. So you know when I went to kindergarten, I was like kind of like, like a shock. It's like uh, you know. Yeah. So from kindergarten all the way up until I don't know ninth grade, I've always had speech classes. Really? Yeah. You had to go. What, what was that called? Like ESL back then? Or, I, I remember. I, that I, 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 I think every. I forgot what it was called. I think every school district called it something different, but. Uh, was there any other kids that like you sure, know? Yeah. Long Island's got a lot yeah. of Italians in it. So were there other kids in the class that like maybe at least they spoke so you could communicate with them? Yeah, there were there were there, there were Italians over there, but uh, you know I was in a speech class with um, you know uh, a couple of Hispanics, you know a couple of Polish, a Syrian, myself, you know just uh, learning how to speak. English without lisps or, or whatever, <laughs> right. you know, accents. I, I had to go to the freaking lisp class. I still still have a lisp, I think. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, that. I mean, that's, like, something that I, I, I don't think, like, a lot of, like, uh, you know, Italian-Americans, like, think about, like, you know, how recent that all was. Like, in the 70s, like, there was, you know, because that was the second uh, 
uh, Diaspora, I believe it's called. Um, yeah, there were two like Italian, big Italian immigrations yeah. out of Italy. The first one went from the 1880s to the 1920s, and the second one was after World War II. Mm-hmm. And that's when a lot of guys went to Argentina and Venezuela and yeah. uh, um, Brazil, uh, but also America, like people like your family. Yeah. You know, they came out of the war. Yeah, Canada, um, Montreal, Canada, Toronto. Montreal, yeah, Toronto. I mean, the the, the 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 biggest concentration of Italians is in Canada. The yeah. biggest concentrations of Italians in Toronto. Like it, per it, capita, it, you're saying. In, in in North America. Okay. In North yeah. America. Not even it's not even America. It's it's Canada. Yeah. Well, I uh, yeah, I know I actually know like a lot of, you know, guys that um, you know, I've worked with or been friends with that they have family in Toronto yeah. and uh Montreal. Like, yeah, Montreal as well. Uh no, it's a crazy thing. Um Yeah, so uh yeah, man. So when did uh so like it, just tell me the history of like how did you know you're you're a teenager now uh you started the business like what happens next for you like you're going to yeah, high school or, yeah you're so you to know college. you know just let's let's get it out there let's tell I want to know the story I did everything in that pizzeria I learned everything in that pizzeria everything you know through my you know you know ten years old my you know adolescent age teenage years my my you know. 20s i spent my whole life in that pizzeria and i learned a lot from you know just just dealing with people you know and uh, the whole time i was working you know i never really worked with anybody my age ever Mm -hmm. it was my father and a couple of gentlemen that were working there also that were you know the same age you know so i was i was the kid all the time every day you know so i never really worked with anybody my age you know i didn't really fuck around you know in other words you know whatever that's what i did so i was always you know focused in what i was doing because there was nothing else that i can do you know i right my, my old man was my my father my boss my mentor he was everything you know so can't call in sick you know <laughs> So, like, yeah, but what I'm asking is, is, like, uh, you know, like, tell me, like, you know, like, the little timeline of, like, how did, you know, you're 12 years old, you're 15 years old, like, now you become an adult, like, you're in high school, did you go to college at all? Well, at, uh, I'll never forget, at 15 years old, 14, 15 years old, my old man was like, uh, Mike, I gotta go to Italy uh-huh. uh, with the family, I gotta take care of some stuff, I'll be gone for two months, and you stay over here to run things. 15 years old. And uh, I had no problem. I did it. Yeah. You know, I did it. Oh, you were running the pizzeria at by f- yourself? At 15 years old, while they were away for was like, like two like months. Was it like a summer, summer thing? Yeah, it was a yeah. summer thing. It right. was a summer thing, and I ran the whole place, you know, and uh, my old man was like, Mike, listen, grande cheese supposed to be 75 cents a pound. If they, if they send it over, it's, you know, a penny more. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, I grew up. <laughs> so, <laughs> These guys used to bug out about the cheese all the time. Oh, like. yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, seventy-five cents. How much yeah. is it now? Like three something. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, insane. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. And that's another thing about pizza. It really doesn't increase in price at all. Right now, if you really wanted to buy a whole pizza, you know, on Long Island, it's like seventeen dollars. It should be twenty-five dollars if it, if 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 it has to raise with the rest of the prices. Well, but a regular pie now, it's like a lead item just to sell you other stuff. Yeah, you know? I mean that's that's a real like you know tri-state area thing though. As soon as you get out of here, like you go to South Carolina, the West Coast, the Southwest, the Midwest, like you could charge fucking six dollars a slice, and nobody bats an eye for a plain slice. But like it's so ingrained into our culture in like New York and New Jersey, like what 
um, a slice is supposed to cost that right. if you charge like but everybody's afraid to raise prices that's what it is well that well i'm saying that's the reason why they're afraid to yeah. raise prices is because i mean people will walk in and motherfuck you you know what i mean they're <laughs> like who the fuck do you think you are you're charging four dollars a slice what are you uh putting gold on the pizza what are you out of your mind like it's so ingrained what these things cost to us where i see guys on the west coast and the midwest and you know all over the place and they'll open even in chicago you know like they open up like a good Sicilian joint or a good New York slice and they charge $5 a slice and like nobody like because it's not a slice culture out there right. so people are like oh I just got two slices and a soda for $12 that's the same price as a McDonald's meal because it's not ingrained into our culture right. with, with us. And the same people that would complain about a $4 slice wouldn't mind paying $10 for for a grande with soy and froth at, at a Starbucks. Right, because the price of those things you know? are like built into like I mean, our being. I mean, I mean, I mean, one's a sustenance and one's like a treat. Hey, I'm not saying whether it's right or wrong. I'm saying like the reasoning behind it. Like I understand the reasoning, and then you just gotta kind of, you know, you, sometimes you gotta get rid of. You gotta be like, hey, listen, you want a dollar slice? That's a dollar slice. Yeah. You want this slice? This is a little bit different thing. Yeah. But um, I, yo, so did you go to college or anything? No, I did not go to college. I did not go to college. My college was pretty much, you know, the restaurant business, the pizzeria business. You so, know? so when you, I knew what I was going to do. When you became an adult, so you just kind of took over your father's pizzeria well, and started managing it. Well, in yeah, I mean, I mean, I've been managing that place, you know, since uh, you know, since I was a kid. I just took over everything. I took over making pizzas because my old man, you know, uh, if you remember back in the seventies, eighties, it was just Sicilian and regular. Just a round and a square. Right. That's all it was. Right. And we had Joe over recently, and we were uh, talking to him about that. He was like, I was like, yeah, what kind of pizzas did you have? And I, like, I already, like, I just wanted to hear it, like, and he was like, yeah, man, like, you know, when you see the pizza box and it says, like, sausage, pepper, ancho, like, I mean, we had those things if you bought a pie, but it was just plain slices. Right. That was that, it. That's all it was. And then if you want a topping, we put the topping, put it in the oven, and that's all it was. It was, you know, it was that simple, and it, and it was delicious, you know? But it took me, you know, because, you know, I, I needed to do stuff. My mind is racing, you know. I just needed to do things, you know. So uh, it took me to make that first regatta pie. Really? Regatta pie. Regatta pie was a new Yeah, they, they, they call it a white pie, but it's yeah. a, it was a regatta pie. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's it. It was people like, what's that? <laughs> what is that? Oh, it's regatta cheese. Oh, my God, I'll I'll take that. And, and it just led into the next thing, and... Uh, you know, my old man would be happy, but also mad at the same time because he's like, he's like, who's gonna fuck? Who's gonna make this stuff when you're not here? You know, just just make the regular Sicilian because if you make too much stuff, they're gonna always ask for it. Then we're gonna, uh, you know. So there wasn't a lot of places doing it. There was one other place that were doing, uh, you know, th different things, but I wouldn't listen. Right. I just kept on making stuff. You know, I started making the sausage and pepper rolls. Started making the pepperoni rolls. And you didn't see any of that stuff. You know, strombolis. I started making. You know. Um, and then, and then the pies just, you know, morphed into other things. I just started making other specialty pies, you know, and then that's it. By the, by the end of the eighties, it was an explosion of gourmet pizzas, gourmet pizzas. You put an eggplant, it's a gourmet pizza. Come right. On. You know what I'm saying? It's just, you know, that word is just overused. I don't even think people use that word gourmet anymore, you know? Just, no, no, it doesn't no, mean anything. Kind of, it's dead. It's, it's, yeah, it's almost become like kind of a bad word. It means like, um... You know, when you say gourmet, it's something that guys that like aren't authentic kind of say, and like, yeah, it's become right. like 
uh, definitely a different meaning. So, like, where did you get the ideas for these things back then? Were you visiting other pizzerias and seeing, like, other people doing stuff? Or well, a lot, of people, a lot of people weren't doing that stuff. So there wasn't really too many places to go to get ideas. So it was just me, my head. And, uh, you know, the pizza conventions and, uh, you know, Pizza Today's weren't really that big, you know, mm-hmm. and they and they just came out, actually. And I remember... I remember they, you know, uh, having their first con- pizza contest competition or something in uh, in Atlantic City, I think it was. Right. Right. And uh, and I me- I remember, you know, vodka started getting onto the scene, vodka sauce okay. onto the scene hard before you really you didn't hear about it. So I learned how to, I learned how to make vodka sauce. I had this cook friend of mine. He's like, oh yeah, this is how you make. It. I'm like, oh great, you know. So I made it. We started making pastas with it and whatnot. And I was just like, wait a minute. So I started putting on a pizza mm-hmm. with the peas and, and, the, and the prosciutto, okay? And I was like, this thing's fucking delicious, you know? Right. Two weeks later, two weeks later, the freaking, what do you call it? The, the Pizza Today magazine comes in, and this place called Goodfellas Pizza. Yeah, in Staten Island. Uh, Goodfellas Pizza yeah, won yeah. the first pizza competition with a vodka pie okay. i think it was like 92 or 91 or something like that uh, i'd have to refer to <laughs> I, that one. I have no idea yeah you know and they and they and they those guys kind of blew up and then fell by the wayside then you didn't really hear about them no more but i think they have a, like a pizza school or something maybe i think in staten island yeah but, yeah yeah he's uh uh i don't know i don't know these people yeah you know. he has a um he has a school they have a other company that they do um, I think I just saw today on Facebook that they're moving their original location somewhere else. But yeah, he, he, he's won stuff, uh, recently. Um, yeah, Andrew, um, yeah, he's been on the seat for a while. So, uh, but, but what I was asking was like, uh, you know, with the strombolis and the sausage rolls and stuff like that, did you see that somewhere? Like, or do uh, are you saying you invented it? Yeah, no, <laughs> I, mean, I invented it. What happened was I, people were making it. Right. People were yeah. making it. We were making, making calzones. We weren't making not necessarily strombolis and stuff okay. like that. But other places were making the strombolis and stuff, but they never had it in the sh- window. or There was no window. Oh, there God. was no window. It was just, you know, a Sicilian and a regular. You had a counter, and then you had a bottle counter with the stuff on it, with right. the pizzas. Now they put everything on a counter where you could see it, you oh, know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before, it wasn't like that, you know? It wasn't like that. So I started making it, and I put it there so people could see it. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying I'm the inventor of it because right. when you when when people are in the same business, they they kind of all think the same, mm. you know. No matter if you're in New York or, or or California, you end up having the same ideas of how to do things because just how it is, you know. Right. And, and 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 that's what I did. And we started off with that, and then it just blew up. And next thing you know, there's a line out the door for lunchtime because now you have all this variety and stuff like that, and you just had to keep it up. And that's what I did. And what, was there delivery back then or anything? Or like, well, how did that work? There was delivery, but we never got into delivery. Okay. At all. You guys would just like a pickup place? We didn't. We never got into delivery. And then again, me, I was like, you know what? Let's only deliver for lunch. Because, mm-hmm. you know, we were surrounded by offices and stuff like that. So let's start delivering for lunch. And we did. Got it. And it was good. It was successful. Then what we did was like... Uh, We'll, we, we'll, we'll deliver every day of the week, except Fridays. Mm. And that's what we did. You know, this is going more into deep into the 90s. Started doing that, you know. And uh, it was very successful. Next thing you know, you know, I mean, a lot more people were ordering deliveries than they were coming in. 
So that's exactly what my father didn't want to happen. Right. Because he wanted the people to come in. He wanted the people to sit in the dining room. He wanted the people, blah, 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 see what's over here, you know, blah, blah, blah. But that's, that's, that's what it morphed into. Right. So that's why we added the Friday on and a, and, a, and a Saturday we added on also because now, you know, people just expect that delivery thing going on. So that's what we started doing. So uh, how does, like, the transition between, like, so now are you kind of running the pizzeria and then, like, you know, from you running the pizzeria in the 90s to, uh, like, open up Vittorio's, like, how does that go down? Well, the pizzeria was always my old man's pizzeria, mm -hmm. you know? I was helping him with his dream. He had a dream, you know, and it was a very successful thing that he was doing, and I was helping him with his dream. Uh, by the time I turned 25, now just, you know, 10 years old, 25, <clears throat> you know, I spent a lot of time in that pizzeria, and at 25, I... I I guess I was having a quarter-life crisis. Uh-huh. You know, I'm standing there in the pizzeria. I'm like... Hold on, what happened? You hear yourself? Uh, yeah. Okay, God. You know, so I had, like, a quarter-life crisis. You know, I just, like, you know, what am I doing with myself? This and that, you know? So basically what was happening is I felt like I did everything I could to don't. Mm -hmm. I felt like I did everything. And my mind was turning to mush. I just needed a challenge. So I told the old man that, you know, I said, I just, I just have to go. I just have to, I just have to you know, find myself. I just okay. have to do my thing. I just have to do my thing, you know? <clears throat> and uh, he, he didn't want me to go. He was just, he was just like, man, you know? Uh, so I was a 25. I'm out scouting my own places now. I want to do my own thing. I still don't know what I wanted to do, but it kind of always took me to the, to the, to the restaurant, pizzeria type of places, you know? And I, I kind of wanted to, you know, shy away from the pizza, do, uh, pizza part and do something else. So, you know, finally at age 28, <laughs> you know, I, was, I told the old man, I was like, listen, I'm going to do a restaurant, you know. If you want to do it with me, great. If not, you know, whatever, whatever. So, you know, he knew how I, how I operated, he knew how I worked, and he knew that he'd be losing something that, uh, that you know, he shouldn't, you know, he should invest in. So we started looking for a restaurant, and next thing you know, the place that's actually across the street from Mike's Pizza uh, was sitting vacant for about 10 years, but it was an ISO, it was falling apart. Nobody looked at it like, oh, yeah, I got to have that place. It was just, a, you know, just a dump. Right. But then <clears throat> I just kept on looking at the building and just, just imagining what it could look like. And next thing I know, I'm calling up the owner and I'm negotiating a price with her to, to sell the building. Got it. You know? And uh, So your father helped you out with that? We bought the building. So what was the original, like, uh, what was the original restaurant idea? And, like, I mean, did you go out? Did you go visit places? Like, like I mean, tell me about that. This is kind of like a... Uh, like a time warp, you know what I'm saying? For somebody like me, like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know what the fuck was going on in, in 2000, <coughs> really. Um, yeah, that yeah well, like you know, it, it was it was definitely, uh, you know, I always associated, you know, restaurant, pizzeria as the same kind of thing, you know? Uh -huh. It's food, it's food, you know? I already knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to, you know, stay away from the Parmigianas, and the, and, the, and the big ZDs. Okay. You know, I didn't want to go that route. There were plenty of places like that. Um, 
so I really had a vision for maybe an upscale, more upscale Italian, you know. And, uh, you know, I hired this chef. He was a great guy, beautiful guy. And we collaborated on what we wanted, you know, whatever, lamb chops, this, that, you know, we'll do it the Italian way. And, you know, so we put together a really strong, hard menu without the lasagnas, without the, you know, the big ZDs, without any of that stuff. And nobody missed it. You said you said lamb chops, but like, what kind of other things specifically do you remember at all? Or? Yeah, well, we had uh, steak pizzaiola, you know, okay. th- things things along that nature of, of of stuff. A lot of stuff also was, um, you know, things that I thought people would enjoy, you know, tripe with potatoes and stuff like that. Because I enjoy tripe, you know. Mm-hmm. I put that on, and nobody's like tripe. What's that? That's a lining of a cow's yeah, stomach, yeah, yeah. you know. So I try to go that route, kind of like a lupa in Manhattan, you know, where they uh, lupa is the is the is at the Roman place in uh, Manhattan, and they sell a lot of a uh, lot of cool dishes, but lo- sweet breads. I don't, I don't know. I don't know anything about a lupa. Tell me about it. Well, it was uh, <clears throat> when it was, did they uh, open? Do you know? No, they opened a while ago. It was uh, a Batali Bastanich. Okay. Restaurant, you know, I think I, I definitely, I definitely think uh, Batali's out of that, but the restaurant's actually still there. Oh, it is. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's still there, and they and sell. They, we're, we're, it's they a Roman were from like the nineties. Yeah, yeah, they, like yeah, they, they, were, they were, yeah, they were open already. Yeah, yeah. they were open in 2000, 2000 or two thousand one. They were open. Yeah. So. And, and they were doing, yeah, because, uh, you know, tripe and all those different things, that's a big part of Roman culture. So they were. Yeah, so that's kind of like the route I wanted so to go. So you were going over there and kind of like looking at Going over there and a lot of these other places. Like, I wanted I wanted to do my mother's Sunday sauce, you know, things like that we grew up with, you know. Yeah. The Americans really haven't, you know, we just do it like American type of food, you know. Mm-hmm. So I got the chef and uh, <clears throat> he was a cool guy, but, you know, he said to me, he's like, listen, Mike, let's scratch all that. Let's let's give these people what they want. And what's that? Things that they are familiar with. Let's give them what they want. Once we get them in here and they got what they want, now we'll give them what we want. Because you don't want to scare them off with the menu either. You you want to put things that are familiar on that menu so they'll come back. Okay. If they see things that aren't familiar, it's like, yeah, you know. So I got the concept. So we went with that. We put regular stuff on the menu. And we'll, we'll like, explain that. Sorrentino, masala, okay. you know, things like that. And were you, I mean, what was different about you than, like, the regular Italian, play, Italian place that's been there for 30 years, you know, back then? Well, we, we, I, a lot of places never really sold, you know, whole fish. Uh-huh. Whole fish. So we started selling whole fish, and we were carving it table side okay. for a little while. So we started doing that. I was, re- I really wanted to get more into table service, but there, w- there wasn't really a lot of people out there that were educated on table service. Okay. We really didn't have time to train because we had to open up, and I, I had bills to pay, you know? Yeah. So let's open up. That's why we opened up on February 14th, because I couldn't wait anymore. Okay. So I was like, let's, let's do a soft opening. Let's do a soft opening. So, like, I won't tell nobody. We just took the papers off the windows, had a way to come in, had a bartender come in or whatever. Holy shit. It was, it, it, it was, well, at that time, it was busy. Now, looking back, you know, it was like, you know, really nothing. Right. But it was, it was, it was, it was so busy that, you know, and, and people really enjoyed it. I mean, a lot of people walked out. F- you know, for free, they didn't, you know, they didn't pay because it was just, it was just kind of like chaos, uh-huh. you know, but it was an eye opener. It was definitely an eye opener for myself to, uh, you know, to get my shit together. 
Got it. You know? So uh, so that, that worked out really well. And then uh, the whole steakhouse concept came about two years later. Two years after you opened? Yeah. Okay. Two years later. Fermenting the meat, fermenting the dough, you know? Right. Dry aging. Yeah. Yeah, so my first steakhouse I ever went to was a Smith & Walensky in Manhattan. Got it. The best steak I've ever had. All right, people, you know, steak, steak is, steakhouses are like, you know, pizzerias. It's like uh, everybody's got their favorite own steakhouse, you know? Who likes, who loves Lugas? Who loves Smith & Walensky's? Who likes Gallagher's? Who likes uh, Sparks? Who likes this? Who likes that? No, no, no. You know? It's, it's, it's like you're diehard for your favorite steakhouse, you know? Yeah. Smith and Walensky did me right. So do they do they age your meat there? I know like uh, Luger's has like the whole basement. Yeah, that that's does all that, that, that that's a really good question. I I I, I think so. I, I I should ask. Uh, I think so because I used to blow up to this club in Little, like hang out at this club in Little Italy. It was on the second floor of an Italian restaurant, and the guy who was running it, Frankie, has been working at that Smith and Walensky's for the past, I don't know, probably like 10 years. Wait, what'd you say? He's a cook? What, what is he? No, he's a waiter. He's and a waiter. He was like, bro, he went from doing that to doing that. And, uh, you know, after the place closed, like, long story. But, um, but yeah, I remember, I'll never forget, he called me up and he was like, Nino, uh, I was like, oh, Frank, how you doing? What's going on? But he's like, yeah, I'm working at Smith and Walensky's. I'm like, oh, yeah? How's that? He's like, Nino, I'm making more money than I've ever made in my life. Because people, they go there, they order, you know, $5,000 worth of wine. And yeah. he collected an 18% gratuity on that. Yeah. And he was just like, you know. But, yeah. um, no, it's it's definitely one of those those things where, uh, and I don't want to say it's easy. I don't want to say, you know, having a steakhouse is easy, but. It's it's it, it's it's a little bit more manageable than having you know a, a whole line of burners with everybody a bunch of people sautéing. Okay. You know, cooking steaks. You know, it's an art to it, but also it's just, it's 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 a quicker thing. You know, it's it's a quicker thing than than having like fifteen guys sautéing. It's it's hard to explain. So I I embraced it. I embraced it, and I brought it to Amityville. So when did you you started like aging as soon as you did like the steak? I, I started aging I, it right away. Yeah, I started researching aging. Okay. I started researching it, and you know, the humidity levels and the, the you know the the wind, uh, the, uh, the airflow, and uh, I was like, let me just give it a shot. So I ordered a bunch of loins, porterhouse loins, and I mm -hmm. just started I just started experimenting. I put inside the the you know the walking cooler. I got a humidity gauge. That would read the humidity levels throughout the night, I, and I would just take it from there. I'm like, okay, now I have to buy a humidifier, have to set it at this temperature, have to have the airflow, and this and that, and it worked, and it worked. I was getting the flavors that I wanted. You know, I would age some for 80 days, some for 30 days. You know, you get more funk to it. Some people liked it. Some people didn't like it. You know, just going with the flow and seeing what the people liked. And like I said, it was just a hit. Next thing you know. I have a whole box dedicated to, to aging meats. I mean, I mean, just row upon row upon row upon row whole, upon row. A whole walking box, he's a saying. A whole walking box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Right. And people, people love it, you know? Especially when they know that you're aging it yourself. Right. You know? You buy the prime, you know, the best prime you could get, and let nature take its course. Yeah, I don't, I don't mean to, like, keep going back to this. I'm not trying to break your balls <laughs> no. or anything, but, like, I, I just, like... I'd love you to take me on like kind of like a like a journey down like 
you know, the mindset and like, I mean, even to the fact, I guess a good way to explain it is like, I mean, back in 2002, I mean, the internet existed, but like, you know, it wasn't really good for anything. Um, like, how do you even go about doing these things? Is it through books? Is it through magazines? And what does that look like? What was popular back then? Like, I haven't dived into it yet, but I just got, uh, I found it on the street. I found a whole stack of Bon Appetit magazines from like <laughs> 1987 to 1990. So it's like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm just, I'm very, very curious about like how not only somebody would have went about it back then, but what were the inspirations? What was the, uh, like, the mindset and like how did that evolve over like years because things a lot of things changed from yeah. 2005 to 2010 to 2015 yeah um well i i actually you know went down to the city a couple of times i went to gallagher's if you remember gallagher's gallagher's had uh as soon as you walked in their their box their meat locker was right there right you saw every you saw all the meats aging and whatnot so i would go there have dinner and uh, get familiar with the with one of the waiters and just i've never been uh, hold on I'm, i don't mean to interrupt you but i just gotta say so i've never been to gallagher's in the city only in vegas right. but i'm good friends with the owner michael weinstein okay um, yeah from arc restaurant group but right. yeah we gotta i just thought about that we gotta have mikey on here sometime. yeah you should uh, but uh, yeah so you go to I'm yeah sorry, so just Interrupted. And just talking to them, just talking to them, yeah, you know, and then talking to my butchers, talking to these guys, talking to my butchers, going to Smith and Wenske's, made friends with the bartender there, you know, and talking to the bartender, he would tell me exactly what goes on and what doesn't go on and blah, 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 blah. And that's the way I did it. Mm -hmm. And I just put all the pieces together myself. Good. Uh, nice. Yeah. So, like, what? It's not like I go on Google, you know, or uh, anything else. No well, Google, yeah. you know. Yeah, did it? I mean, that's how people would. Um, I mean, not not a hundred percent, but more or less, do it today. Um, there's so many resources out there, and you can kind of look like at the history of things, and it's not like a word of mouth thing. You know what I mean? Um, you could kind of get like an idea today of you know what was really going on and if you and if the answer's not there about what was really going on i can research like what was even available right so if i want to know how people were cooking um in the 1950s in uh you know brooklyn i can actually research and find hardcore answers right. like like factual answers True. to what kind of shops were open and what kind of products were in that shop and like you know because you can't really do what you don't right. have access right. to it's not like you're uh you, you don't have the internet where you could just you know oh i want to get some uh three-year aged barley miso and get a chip to my house yeah well you, see, you see social media how how incredible social media is for any kind of business really i mean it's, it truly is incredible i mean when uh, I opened, there wasn't any of this social media stuff going on. I, I actually remember when it first came on, and my PR company that I was using told me, he's like, listen, you got to get this. It's, it's the future. You know, it's, it's called Facebook. You know, <laughs> it's called Facebook, uh, blah, blah, blah. We're telling all our clients about it. You know, we'll set it up for you. And that was, that was, that was the thing. I think I was the first one on Long Island with a, with a, a Facebook page, fan, fan page, you know? Really? I was the first one on Long Island with a with a with a with a with a Vittorio's app, you know. It was written in Newsday, you know. It was a big deal. Now it's mm. just like, yeah. Now it's like none, you know. So, which was nice. 
<clears throat> so before that, you know, in order to market and, and throw myself out there, Vittorio's, you know, I mean, put an ad in a, in a newspaper, Newsday, you know, Newsday newspaper out in Long Island is pretty big. And I would do a Sunday because that's when everybody reads news, Newsdays on a Sunday, half a page, you know, $1,600. And, and you put it in there, then you would have to cross your fingers and hope, hopefully people see it and come in. Now, Newsday, you know, always want to be like, well, if you're going to put an ad in there, you know, put in like you'll get a free glass of wine <laughs> or free salad. I'm like, yeah, no, 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 no. It's not that type of place. Right. Uh, no free glass of wine, no free salads. I just want people to know who we are, where we're at, and if they want to come in, they come in. That's all. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to put, you know, it's not, it's not that type of place. We're going to put like a, like a clip art of a, gl- of a glass. Of, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's like cheesy. Sure. So well, now, like a place like you were talking about, uh, you know, uh, Lydia, one of Lydia's restaurants would never do something like that. So why? Right. Exactly. You, you know, yeah. Lydia's got a good place, too. Um, and she's great. I, I love her cooking. Anyway, <clears throat> so so now with social media, you know, it took a little time because not a lot of people were on, you know. But let me tell you, I mean, you get, you know, a, a good bang for your buck and and you're out there and not only you're out there people are able to share sure. people are able to comment you and you, you talk to them come on i mean i mean it just really uh, i mean what what it did to the restaurant business is incredible incredible you know it took those obscure places nobody ever knew about and blew them up you know where everybody knows about them now you know and it was a really really nice thing that that it did for the business because it gave it a nice uh, a nice push. A lot of people didn't know about us. Now everybody on Long Island knows about us. Got you know, it. but if you didn't have the food or the product, you wouldn't be going anywhere anyway. Right, right. Yeah, no. Social media has um, it, it's. I mean, it's done wonders and it's brought so many people like out to the light and uh, yeah, yeah. It's a crazy thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, let's take, let me check the time real quick on the stopwatch. Let's take a quick bathroom break real quick. We'll be right back. All right. So, like, uh, you know, like, you you make really great pizza today and everything. What is the, um, uh, I'm sorry. (laughs) You make really great pizza today and everything. What is like the, you know, obviously there's been some kind of evolution to that and everything. Um, like, is your pizza, would you say it's different now than the way it was, you were making it in like 1980s or 1990s, right? Yes. Like, what, what, what would like, uh, what was like the Sicilian process like when you were a kid, like at your father's place? Um, the like, Sicilian dough. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what what would you guys do? Were you par baking? Were you street cooking it? The the Sicilian dough I remember as a kid because our Neapolitan, our round pies were very popular. Uh-huh. So we sold Sicilians, but it wasn't as a big of a mover. Right. So it's not like we made a separate batch of dough for Sicilians. Okay. Okay. So what we did was just, you know, we took two doughs, 20 ounce dough balls, put them together on a 16 by 16 pan uh-huh. and that's it just we just we just did it like that with two doughs on top of each other like, oh you put two doughs yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, i remember doughs. going to places and doing that a lot of places did that because you know if the doughs were overproofed they could use those doughs put it together without throwing them out you know you never threw anything out sure you don't throw anything out that's how we got garlic knots 
Okay. Garlic knots was invented because you don't want to throw out the dough. Let's do so. Let's tie it out. Put some garlic on it. You don't throw it out. Did you guys have like <laughs> different size doughs at all? We did at one point. Did you guys have like, or, or uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I meant different sized pies, like a small, medium, and large. Yeah, we did at one point. We had a, we had a, we had a 16 inch and an 18 inch. Okay, and what'd you do? You cut some of the dough off? <laughs> no. No. It was <laughs> no. just. <laughs> it was a 21 ounce dough ball, and it was you just stretch it bigger for the 18 and stretch it smaller for the 16. You know, the 20 ounce, 21 ounce dough ball was good as a 16 inch. When you made the 18 inch, they put less sauce and less cheese on it. So like that, you know, you got the nice fold. It doesn't doesn't flop or anything else like that. And that was the that was the thing with it. They also had you know wooden boxes. Really. So so proof in the dough was a lot different back then than it is now. You so know? oh so when you when your father opened up, they were still using wood trays. Yeah, I was still using wood trays. Oh, yeah. get out of here. Uh, yeah, I, I I remember I remember dismantling them. Because we were making way for the for the metal trays, we had metal trays because we had a refrigerator where we had metal trays, where we just to slide it out like this. What and like sheet pan trays or? It, you know you know those white trays now. Yeah. It was metal. It was that but metal. Right, but it wasn't stackable like now it stacks and it and, it's, and it locks into yeah, each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, sure. these just 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 rectangle with the with the you know thing and you put the dough in it, and you put them in the, in the you know like uh, these rolling racks. So it was a rolling rack inside the refrigerator, and and it was always a gap. It never crusted, never crusted because the refrigerators back then didn't have, you know, air blowing. Okay. It had the the radiator type of thing. What do you right, call right. that? Yeah, like we, we your refrigerator at home has. Yeah. Yeah, the yeah, same thing. Yeah, yeah whatever yeah, it's called. It's a, there's no fan. Yeah, there's yeah, nothing. Yeah, so what? Back. It wasn't blowing wind. The the crust up the dough. Okay. You know, it just kept it at, at a cool, at a really cool temperature. And we used that for many, many years till finally that all broke down. So I've never even seen that um, that I can remember, but I, I understand exactly what you're saying. But like, how how large was the was it the same size as the plastic trays? Yes. Like the yes. oh really? Yeah. And then the, and then uh, like it would just be you know racks that you would just. Kind right. Of slide well, into we used the to bridge. make the dough in the kitchen. Then we uh, when we let it proof that we had to carry it. Physically, you know, carry it and to the front. So, so you only could carry like maybe two or three of those at a time because it was just full on top of each other. They weren't interlocking. And what was like a pizza? Like, what was like the dough recipes back then? Was it just like fill it up, salt, sugar, yeast? Yeah, like I mean, I, I mean, the process uh, it was pretty much like run down same. that process for me. We never, we never, never, never used sugar ever. Okay. Okay. My father always used a biga. You know, okay. he worked. He worked for uh, a short time in a in a, a, a bread factory in Italy. Okay. Uh, before he joined the Merchant Marine, but it was one of those uh, pate ferment, I guess, if you would call it, where you know, just one dough left over, and you just put it in in a dough. Oh in, yeah, in, yeah, in, yeah. In a thing, and just and and that would just you would take like a dough ball from the day before, and, and uh, yeah, uh, and just yeah, throw just it like, in. And, and it just carries on. It carries on. It was right. a thing that my father always wanted to do. No, 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 no. Put the dough. Put the dough. yeah. There you go. And it feels so much better, you know, because it just carries on the dough from the previous dough, 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 till I finally open up my this place. Got it. Got it. So, so what? Um. When when you guys were doing the Sicilians, like how did you proof them? Was it on top of the oven, or and then well, like we, was we, it a par bake? When we did the, the just run me through the whole process. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. We we put the two doughs on top of each other, let it sit there for about a half hour, so like that it just you know kind of melds uh -huh. into each other. Once it gets to a certain point, 
where it's nice and proofed and there's bubbles, then you just put it out, stretch out the corners, put it on top of the oven for another half hour, and then bake it off. Then you get the five, six Sicilians, whatever you need for the day. And what was the sauce? Was there sauce on it? Or yeah, no the, sauce? The, the sauce that we had for, uh, for the pizza. We just put that sauce on there. No water? No, no water, straight up, just a full... Cupino, full cupino, full cupino, cupino, full cupino of sauce, and then we just go like this. Yeah. <laughs> you hear that, guys? Nice. A cupino. cupino. That's what you put. All you fucking hipsters out there, you put a fucking cupino of sauce. A cupino is a ladle, a ladle. See, see, these are like, I mean, like it's, it's, it's. I think it's so important, like. Um, you know, uh, to get back to like, uh, you know, at least have the knowledge of the original ways that these things were done. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, and it doesn't, you don't have to do them exactly the same, but like having like that foundation and like the history of where this stuff came from. And right. Cause then you're able to figure out the reasonings why and blah, 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 blah. But, um, yeah. So you, you, you're, you're saying those Sicilians weren't like, uh, you know, they were like a huge seller. It, then, then it came to a point where it was. Oh, really? Then it came to a point where it was where we made a separate batch just for Sicilians. Wow. Yeah. And what, 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 what years was that around? That was definitely that was definitely in a definitely like a mid eighties. Mid eighties. Mid eighties. Oh. Yeah. Didn't do that. Oh god. <laughs> so. Uh, so yeah, so what well, about, it happened, it happened, I, again, I did it in the mid '80s because I just got tired of putting the two doughs together. Right, you, know, you would have to make a whole batch where you just have to put these doughs together. So you're rolling these doughs individually, you know, and then you got to put them together. So why don't you just roll one dough ball? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I noticed uh, watching you roll dough balls that you kind of do it like the bakery style. Oh, yeah. You learn that from your father? Oh, 100%, Maybe he yeah. learned that like yeah, in, yeah, uh, you learned in the bakery. Yeah, because I do it like this. Yeah. But, like I've always seen guys like, yeah. you know, I remember like working at like Italian joints too where they would do it like they'd be like, oh, you can't do two hands. And I'm like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I think actually, uh, I might be able to do it kind of now. Not as yeah, good I think as I you. got a video out there somewhere where we're doing it two hands. I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not sure. I There's a video? So. I think Mike's so. Mike's Pizza? I think so. I think Mike's Pizza video I, on uh, Brooklyn Pizza? I, yeah, I think it's there. Uh, that's great. Thanks thanks for calling me, Tony. All right, phone's on silent finally. Sorry, guys. Finally. Uh, <laughs> so, um, yeah, man, I mean, uh, and, you know, yeah, with, God. With, those, with those wooden boxes, uh, let me tell you. They, they make a big difference, you know, because they suck out all the moisture. It was a really, really good box. I remember when, um, you know, we went from wood and we went to, uh, you know, metal. You know, a little bit of difference, but not big, big difference. You know, you didn't really see a difference. But finally, when that refrigerator broke down, that dough retarder broke down, where we had the metal, we had to get a new, new dough retarder, had to fan the whole thing. There was no shells, whatever. Oh, so we had to buy the plastic ones. You got the plastic ones. Yeah, and, we were talking about that the other day um, uh, with Joe. And, I mean, I knew it when he said it. Like, I realized it, but I never really thought about it recently because uh, there's two types. of There's a plastic, and then there's a fiberglass. Fiberglass. Right? Well, the fiberglass is the one we yeah, use. Yeah, 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 yeah. I wonder. I want to do a test. Um, 
to see, you know what I'm saying, what like the cold retention is um, on those two things. And I'm really interested now. I never even knew there was like metal trays like that, like besides the sheet pen. I'll get some pictures for you. I'll see where I'll dig them up. Yeah. And they they had, um, you know what? Something's telling me, something in my memory is getting jogged where like maybe I was at a place. I think, you know what? I think I saw a place when I was a kid that I might have worked at that they had the metal ones, but they had like tops that slid on and it was like a, like a handle type of thing on the top where it like slid into there. Yeah, we're gonna have to find all this stuff. I swear to God, like every time I start going down like memory lane, like I remember things that I like haven't thought about in like 20 years. And I'm like, like I went to, uh, uh, first time I went to uh, Sal's spot, my boy Sal, you've been there, Joe and John's, and I saw him doing the oil method. I completely forgot that that was a thing because like nobody does it anymore. And I was like, oh yeah, that used to be, I remember learning how to do that. Well, those tins, those tins that we, you know, we put that, you know, that was that that tin was full of oil, full of olive oil, and you took it out and you just the, throw the flour on top. Yeah, those those nine inch tins that were that we use. Oh, the 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 camelinis. Yeah, the the pizza. Uh, right, the pizza dough t- trays dough, or dough the tins. dough cans, cans, dough cans, dough, dough, cans. dough cans. That was yeah. full of oil. Yeah, because we used we used the boxes at, at Mike's Pizza in Amityville, and then my uncles opened up a pizzeria out in the Hamptons okay. in '72. In '72, oh. so both my uncles, Uncle Uncle Frank and Uncle Valentino, went out east, and my father kept the place in Amityville. Okay. So out east, the place they bought it, they were using the the camelinis, the the, the, the dough, dough cans. cans, and there, you know, they were making pies, oil method, oil method. They were doing it the oil oh, method. Oh yeah, they were doing it. Were they using a screen or no? No. No screens. No screens. So it was like roses style, where it was like you would stretch it out, you'd you put stre- some flour, and then you'd right, put it on you the stretch peel. it out, nice, right? Bam, hit it with flour, and then just go like this. So, go like that. So and the oil side down. up with the sauce. Yep. And that's the exactly how they did it. I. That's where I first learned the oil method. Was that I was working at Roses in Penn Station, and. You know, when I got the job there, I couldn't make, even though I was a pizza maker at that time, like they wouldn't let me make pizza because I didn't know the oil method. So I was with this Albanian guy on the counter and it's, you know, it's Penn Station. So like being at the counter is like a, a like a skilled job out itself in a place oh, like yeah. that. Because it's like, you got to figure out the dance here in this little place. You got four ovens. It's like, yo, what can I get for you? Oh, you got two egg plates, two upside down, this, this, this. You got fucking hundred people lined up. But, um, and once you master that, you could do anything in life. Well, that's how I felt when I first mastered it. I was like, and I completely, I swear to God, until I walked into Joe and John's, like that was like out of my memory. And then it all came rushing back to me. Yeah. I was like, I, and I remembered like when I learned and when I started making pies like that, I could fill up an oven. I was like, oh, now I could work anywhere. <laughs> because I used to walk into places like sometimes... I would I would just walk around the city. I'd walk around Brooklyn. I'd walk around Manhattan. I'd just go into pizzerias and be like, "Hey, you need a pizza guy? Hey, you need a pizza guy?" But if I walked into a place and I saw him doing the oil method, I wouldn't even ask because I didn't know how to do it. Mm. And then when I learned that, I was like, "Oh, oh man, <laughs> I can work fucking anywhere I want. Yeah. I can be a real pizza fucking yeah. nomad." You know, that's I mean, that's what it was. It was you know, I didn't, uh, I, you know, I, I I was a high school dropout. Um, I was a knucklehead and it was just like, you know, pizza was this job that you didn't, you didn't need, um, you know, a resume for. It was just kind of like you go into a place, it's cash. Um, if they see you can make pizza, you get the job. 
and they put you on much. the schedule for 60 hours a week uh, for, you know, $10 an hour. It's like, how much money you want? It's $10. Like, give me $10. Nice. Give me $8. Give me you know what I mean? Oh, no, it was great. It was great back then, but then it switched real quick because New York real estate prices went through the roof. So all of a sudden, the, the $10 an hour wasn't uh, cutting as much. But yeah. when I was like 18 years old, it was nice because you couldn't rent an apartment in the East Village for like 600 bucks a month back then. You know what I mean? Like easy. Like I was in, I had an apartment in Gravesend. I was paying 650 two bedroom apartment. It was fucking great. Oh, nice. Yeah. But um, yeah, going back to the day, like, um, oh, you know what I want to fucking know? So, you know. I've been to your mother's house. She's got the garden and everything and the chickens. Did she always have that? Did you have that when you were a kid? Yeah. Oh, yeah. She she always had a... I don't even want to call it a garden. A garden is just like, you know, little things. We had a freaking farm in our backyard. Right. Our backyard wasn't a backyard where we went back there and, and played. Yeah. It, it's in the backyard we had. We went out there to work. We picked, you know, <laughs> with tomatoes. Mike, go out. Go. We're making a salad. Go get the tomatoes. Uh, go. Go to the side of the house. Get the arugula. You know. I mean, that's what what it was. She. Right. Grew, she. Grew, that's how she grew up. She grew up in Italy, where you know her father, my grandfather, you know, had all this land, and they used to farm their food. Sure. That's how it was. They had they had the their pig that got slaughtered. They had their chickens where you know they made you know whatever they did with it. You know they had their rabbits. They had everything. Everything everything they needed was right there. The only thing that was missing was a cow, which you know there's you know right. cows, <laughs> you know. But they had everything. So they had the, they had the, the butcher come in to slaughter the pig. So they had meat. They did what they had to do with that. You know mm-hmm. so. So this they had it in them. So they brought it here. That that's this is what they, you know. This is this is this is you know. They never got themselves out of that routine. This is in their heads what they needed to do, you know. You couldn't go to uh, back then. You couldn't go to a supermarket and, and find like you know broccoli rob. Right. What's broccoli rob? Yeah. Arugula? No arugula. You, you didn't have any of this stuff. Uh-huh. This is all Italian stuff. So she grew it. Right. You know. And then we had the pork stores. Yeah. We had the pork stores, and those pork stores would be packed uh, of holidays, Christmas, Easter, you name it. You know, it was such a great feeling and stuff. You know, you go there, you get your prosciutto. Nobody, nobody knew about Nutella. Except the pork stores. <laughs> you had to go to the pork store yeah, to pick nobody up Nobody knew Nutella. about Nutella, yeah. man. It was my thing. Now had, everybody fucking Yeah, knows. I had friends coming over. They were like, oh, Mike, what the fuck is this? Delicious. What is this? Nutella. I never heard of it. Nutella. You know, go bring it home to the mom. I can't find it in the supermarket. You know, well, you're never going to find it in the supermarket. Now it's everywhere. Yeah. Now it's everywhere. So there's nothing special anymore. It's not especially, yeah. which is okay. Yeah. It's all right, you I know, mean, but everything's just so, like, there. I, I think there's something really special about, um, you know, growing stuff in your backyard and stuff like that. 100%, like, not a lot yeah. of people do that anymore. Like, I mean... I mean, it's back-breaking work. I mean, nobody, nobody, nobody wants, nobody wants to do it. You know, right. they'll build, they'll, they'll get a couple of tomato plants, a zucchini plant. Oh, look at mine! It's for my garden. What garden? Yeah. You get a freaking, it's, it's a pot plant. What are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, we'll, we'll, I feel like every year. I mean, I, I obviously got my thing going out there, and like when I look at. Um, you know, uh, my boy Danny Zuko's mother and how she did it. She, 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 like, yeah, like you said, she had like a farm. Like the whole backyard was just on the ground this low, and uh, she would put weed tarp and then cut the holes where right. the plants were, so you know she wouldn't have to pick all the weeds out. But yeah, it was you know I don't know quarter acre worth of uh, wow. shit growing. And um, but now you know, like I do all raised beds, so I don't have to bend over. Uh, I don't have to deal with weeds. Um, 
I haven't brought it in yet, but it's definitely going in going in, in a couple weeks as soon as Dom the plumber comes over. We're getting the hose back there and we're putting the irrigation, the drip irrigation. But, I mean, when you were a kid, you didn't have that. I mean, no. I'm sure I'm sure it existed, but, like, you couldn't well, go was, on, like, Amazon right. and, like, be like, oh, let me get a drip yeah. irrigation system going. But the, but with, with that, that said, my mother and father, they, they enjoyed it. They wanted to go out. It gave them, you know, something to do and something to, you know, look forward to. They want every morning they got up before work. My father would get up before work and spend at least an hour and a half in the garden doing what he had to do because he just he just enjoyed it. Picking up the hoe, doing what he got to do, bending down, picking up a thing, looking this, tying it up, you know, mm -hmm. making sure, smoking a cigarette, <laughs> looking at his work and stuff like that. You know, they really, really enjoyed it, you know. Right. It was just one of those things. And my father also was uh, uh, was a fisherman. Okay. My father's father, that's what they did for for a living in Italy. They we lived right by the water there and they had, you know, those typical Italian little boats that you see, you know, right, in the right, waters. Right, right, right. So he was a fisherman. So he really has a passion for fishing, you know, and on his day off, <clears throat> that's what we did in the summertime. We went to Jones Beach. We didn't go to Jones Beach to go, you know, sunbathe and and whatever. Play Jones volleyball. Beach over here. Jones Beach over yeah, here, yeah. you know. <clears throat> We went on the Bayside to go fishing. Okay. Uh, we go fishing. I mean, back then, we had a, a big, big dragnet my father brought over from Italy. Dragnet? <laughs> yeah. Oh, like those, you yeah, go so, in, so, the, you walk so, in the water with the no, poles? No, 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 no professional okay. one. Okay. So we had a rubber raft, and we put this 100 feet long net. I mean, it's a big, big ass net, yeah. you know? Like the trawlers used. <laughs> and we put it on a rubber raft, and then we row out. Okay. Right? So you have about a you know fifty foot, fifty foot uh, line on one end. You go out and you come to a, a, a U and you come back in. And then once you come back in, once one per person's pulling on that side, one per person's pulling on that side, we just pull and pull and pull. And finally, when the thing comes in, Jesus Christ, every kind of fish. You striped, can imagine. striped bass, sand sharks, uh, starfish. I mean, you name it. Calamari, shrimps. It was all You name that. it. Yeah. You so, name it, you know? I mean, and that's going back then. I mean, right now, if you ever did that now, forget about it. They shoot you. Right, you know? right, right. I mean, right, yeah, right. I mean, you know. I remember I, I have, like, one of my, uh, you know, fondest and most, uh, like, the memories I can recollect a lot from uh, one year we were in the, we were on the beach, we were in the Jersey Shore, and um, somebody, it must have been, like, one of my mom's friend's kids or something that I think they lived down there, and... They, you know, grew up on the beach, so they were like master sandcastle builders, <laughs> and they built like this giant sandcastle that had like a moat, and they, nice. they dug out like the water that came in, and then we took these like two sticks with a net, um, like a smaller version. Right, I right, guess, right. Of what I know we exactly. What you're about. And you would go out, and then you would go into a circle, and they would put the fish in right, the right. different levels of the sandcastle, so they'd be like, oh, fish. really? Swimming around and Little stuff. Little killies. So then, like, after you catch it, like, what do you, do you just pick out what you want and, like, throw it all back? Yeah, well, you know, yeah, they, they try not to waste anything. Oh, they know? take it all. Oh, right, They take took, the starfish. We, 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 we took it all. We took <laughs> it all. And uh, and as, as, as the day was progressing and you could see it starting to, you know, starting to get a little bit, you know, darker. That's, yeah. That's when we, that's when we dig, a, dig a hole, collect all the sticks, and build a bigger... Nice big fire. 
On the beach. On the beach. Really? Like I said, this is back in the day. Nobody okay. said anything, you yeah, know? Sure. Striped bass, throw it on there. Crabs. Yeah, throw, we used to cook everything on the beach, whatever we caught. And whatever, Just over a wood fire? And yeah, we, wood, he bought the grate and whatever wood. Did whatever. you have any condiments or like, or was it just sucking? Uh, yeah, salt, salt and lemon. Salt and, and lemon. Salt and lemon and olive oil, my mother would bring. That was it. That's just it. in a bag. That's it. That's fucking, there's something beautiful about that. I and, almost like want to go out to the beach and fucking do that. And while, while we were fishing, while we were fishing, my mother and her sister and whoever else was there would clam. Okay. So they would clam. We would fish. They would catch like bushels of clams. Really? I mean, just because they just love doing it. I mean, just they just did it. I can't stand clam. How the fuck do you clam? They, they, I don't even they know. Have to, they I have to dig with their means. feet like this. You just see a bunch of people out there going like this, like doing a twist. In the water? In, in like the ocean or in the bay? In the bay. In the bay. In the bay, yeah, you know? Yeah. And they feel, you know, feel whatever, reach under and just and just collect. I mean, bags, bags, you know? Wow. They bring a pot. We put the freaking pot over there and just steam up the clams. They open up. Oh, yeah. No, That's people, crazy. people bring food and go into the concession stands. <laughs> Meanwhile, we're just pulling out the food from the water. Yeah. Well, like my, I mean, I never ate it because I was like a fucking spoiled fucking 80s brat kid. But uh, that that was, you know, my mother used to take us uh, crabbing. You know, we'd, right. have the, we'd have the cage and then we'd have a bunch of fishing lines that we'd put the fish heads on. And then right. we'd tie them to the dock in the, in the bay and then we'd pull up all these crabs. And her girlfriend, Bonnie... We take it all back to her house and, uh, you know, they're nice crab sauce. sucking the. Oh, man, she was like an animal with it. She would just, because yeah. they were like blue crabs and she yeah. would crack them up, be sucking everything out. We'd be eating macaroni and cheese or something like that. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> you, you all pissed on uh, Bro, we had no, <laughs> we had zero appreciation for, you know, I mean, all the things that I have appreciation for now. We had none of it when we were a kid. Because but isn't that the case with every with, with all kinds of kids? You know. Well, I, think I mean, it, I mean, I mean, I, I think mean, it was a sign of the time. Well, I think what happened, like, was I mean, um, you know, my father's generation, it was just kind of like, you know, whatever my grandfather wanted to eat, whether that was like stuffed clam or calamari or whatever the fuck it was, and my father would, you know, he would think that was like disgusting and. You know, but right. it was like a situation where it's like, hey, man, we're not making fucking separate meals over here. You know what I mean? What You're going to eat what's on the table. So then well, when, when how, he had me, he, he kind of like, uh, I guess he didn't like that, um, uh, that you know, situation. Um, and he kind of like looked back at it badly. So it was just kind of like, you know, all right, we'll, we'll let you eat whatever, you know, you want to eat kind of thing, which I don't think either of those are the right thing. I think the thing that he did was even a little bit more wrong, but I think there's like something, you know, there's something in between those two things where it's like, all right, I'm not going to make you eat fucking tripe. You know what I'm saying? But like, you know, we're going to put some uh, spinach gnocchi where we on the table. And if you got a problem with that, you could go starve to death. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. There's like something in between yeah. stuffed calamari with like hard boiled eggs and, uh, yeah. and pig's feet and tripe. And you know what I mean? Uh, eating gushers and macaroni and cheese. Uh, yeah, for, listen, for that, Sunday that, dinner. That, that was uh, everything I lived through. It was all that type of ethnic food, Italian ethnic food that, you know, that you won't you won't see it on a menu. 
back then, and some of them you won't even see on the menu now because right. it's more casalinga. It's more like homemade. But you probably house. you probably liked it. Like you were still very close. Like I, my I, father was like as American as American gets. Like he's right. Italian American, but like right. Well. What do we know? We didn't know any better. It's not like, you know, it's not like, you know, we had, you know, cousins and, you know, that would tell we're doing this thing. We're doing everybody was doing the same thing. Yeah. You know? Well, that's what, then, that's we, what I think he had. He had so many people around him probably growing up that would look at that and that would be like, oh, that's gross. You would, Why would you eat that? Blah, 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 blah. So that puts a thought in your head. Right. But in your case, it's just like, no, that's what I've been eating but since you, I'm you know, three years you, old. You have, you have your American friends come over and, you know, it's dinner time and they come in and they, they look at your plate and they see a, a hoof. They, yeah, they yeah, see yeah. a big hoof in your plate with, with you know, with the nails They're like this. Like, what the, like, fuck, what the is fuck is that? It's like, yeah, no, it's pig feet. You want a bite? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it's a hot dog or something, you know. So, but, well, yeah, let's, uh, but but I, I was I was the opposite because you know the, here we are eating this you know real you know ethnic Italian food you know and you go to your friend's house and they have you know man how come I can't how come you can't cook you know whatever fucking hot dogs or how come you can't do I can't do you know grilled cheese you know. I was like, hey, if you want that kind of shit, then go to your fucking friend's house. This is what we eat over here, all right. right. And then as you get older, like you said, you start appreciating things like yeah. that. Because nobody cooks like that no more. Uh, nobody. 100%. Nobody. What, what kind of other things do you like? Like walk me through like uh, days and weeks at the table at Mikey's house. Like what kind of things were that? Well, you know, yeah, pasta fazul, pasta landique. You know, I used to get really upset. My mom. Yeah, bro, I come, bro, listen, you're gonna have to explain this. We got a lot of people listening from the West Coast and the fucking Midwest, <laughs> and like we got a lot of all many guns like listening to this stuff. Pasta fazul. They, they, they don't understand what you're saying. They gotta like, know what pasta fazul is. You, you gotta describe. Yeah, pasta. but what was your pasta fazul could be different things. Pasta, what was yours? Pasta fazul, pasta lindicchia, pasta fazil, pizzelli. I got to go through all of them. Pasta banan, you know, all the. All the explain it. To they they were kind of like, you know, soups slash I know stools. what they are, but tell me pasta uh, Pasta ba Pasta badan is pasta with potatoes. Okay. And what else? Pasta lindicchia is a, uh, lentil with pasta. Lentil, what pasta. Else? What kind of pasta? Like Broken spaghetti. Bro broken spaghetti. All right, and now all you're doing them. a little better over here. Broken <laughs> spaghetti. You got what else? Uh, pasta padan, pasta fazul, pasta oh, no, lindique, no, 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 pasta no. pizzier. Okay, okay. Now you're off track again. Pasta okay. pizzili. Pasta pizzili, yeah. broken spaghetti. Yes. What all, else? All, all broken Is spaghetti. Only broken spaghetti in the pasta? If it, there's it, no onions, there's no garlic. There's yeah, no... Oh yeah, 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 okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. let's yeah, go through yeah. it. Oh, they, let's they, go through they, it. They pretty much, they pretty much had the same ingredients, except you know, one would have potatoes, one would like have a lentils. Yeah, would have all the same, you know, base and onion and garlic base, water. Okay. You know, you know, you stew it down, make it nice, nice and thick with the pasta, with the beans or whatever, and you get a nice, nice soup. But it's really, really simple. It's All a, right, it's so a let me explain this to these Omegans out there. So what he's saying is you have like a mirquois or sofrito with garlic. Um, some of them are white. Uh, some of them are red, which means that you would stew some tomatoes in it. And then squeeze a fresh tomato in it. Just yeah. And then the differences are is, you know, pasta bajul is, you know, different types of pasta are in different ones. So some of them that you'll have these little like. Um, and these are peasant foods. Right. You see, because you eat pasta and potatoes, mm -hmm. you know, they have all these carbs in it, to, you know, the, to, to make you, you know, feel full because, you know, that's what they ate when they were poor. Sure. You know, whatever 
stale bread they had too. Throw it in there like a uh, relo, uh, ribolita. Ribolita is just like, hey, whatever. This this pot's been going for three years, and we just add stuff to it, you know, and just 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 take it out as you need it, you know. Yeah, Everything's in I it. Just actually found out that I've been reading this book that's all about all that, uh, you know, how people ate, um, you know, back from like the 1880s to the 1920s in Italy. I mean, first of all, it's uh, it's called. Um, uh, chewing the fat, the history of Italian food ways from fascism to Dolce Vita. And it's, um, you know, this kind of oral history that, uh, you know, they interview all these grandmas and stuff mm. like that. And it turns out like Ribolita was actually not really put together as a recipe until like the 1940s or 50s or something. Um, and what it was off of was, uh, you know, because all these people, they were cauldron cooking. So yeah. it's like you said, but there wasn't a standard thing for it. It was no. like, but well, ribolita means reboiled, right? And but they stand, but now you can find a recipe for ribolita that's like, you know, put this much tomato, put this, put this, put this. Where back then it was just it was it was standardized as a, um, it was standardized because it was like a nostalgic thing because people grew up where it was just like, oh, you got a cabbage core, you got a rind of Parmesan, you throw that in the pot, 100%. and it's cauldron, it's cauldron cooking. 100%. It's substance, it's cauldron cooking. Well, and, so, and, now, and, now, and now it's uh, gourmet. Yeah. Now oh, it's yeah, gourmet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, 100%. Right? All peasant foods now are served in white table court plate restaurants. Well, the whole thing this book is about that's really um, incredible is it's like we call those peasant foods, um, but the reality is is like it, it wasn't it wasn't as simple as that because flour and pasta were were you know things that you only got on holidays and for special events because they were they were very expensive back then. And I would have never thought that. I would have been like, wait, what do you mean? You get flour Flour is like the cheapest thing you could buy in the grocery store. You got you got flour, you got water, you know, you make a yeast, you make a bread, no problem. And it's like, no, nah, man, like even what we consider whole wheat um, was, you know, it was expensive. It was it was really like for the nobility or for like special events. Like if you were a, um, a sharecropper, your padroni would like they'd hook you up like on uh you know right. easter on like christmas and this right, and right, that right. but that was it like if you got and i mean obviously all the situations um weren't the same like there were stories about like this one woman her her father wasn't rich but he was a tax man and back then the um the 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 tax man would go to the farmers um who who you gotta remember you know, you're a farmer back then. I mean, there were some homesteaders, but the homesteaders were, were kind of like a rare breed. Uh, most of them were either um, uh, sharecroppers or like some kind of like peasants, uh, depending on the time that we're talking about. But it, it was, you know, that stuff, it's 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 theirs. You know, it's your padroni. And the, the deal was supposed to be you split it, right? But what would happen is... You know, the padroni, the overseers would end up like, you know, well, uh, we had to buy you a new hoe and you had to buy this and you borrowed this and blah, 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 blah. So when it came down and when it came down to like splitting it in half, it didn't really get split in half. You know what I mean? Because you would get fucked over. So these guys were like, um, you know, they were substance eating like most of the time. It was just like and people were getting like a lot of degenerative diseases. Um just from their diet. So if you eat polenta every fucking day, even though now 
Polenta's gourmet, like you're saying. But now when we make polenta, it's like, oh, it's polenta, and it's got nice cheeses, and it's got uh, nice roasted vegetables that are blanched, and you know what I mean? It's like, that's what, like, you would have had to be like the Duke of Modena to be eating like that back then, where... You know, but then you're getting like the amount of nutrients and calories of this and that. These guys, and I think that's, I think that might be a reason why, like, sometimes, you know, growing up in Brooklyn um, and New Jersey, you know, you would see guys that were like kind of first year, you'd see guys' grandparents that were like, you know, they were, they were five foot nothing. Right. And then you would see the kids and the grandkids were like six foot four. They were like monsters. And it was probably a result of like, you know, them being on the other side and not, you know, as children, like just not getting enough calories and enough like variety of vitamins yeah. and minerals every day. And it stunted their growth. Yeah. And then, like, See, the polenta, polenta is like a northern thing. Yeah, 100%. It's, it's, it's not even southern. I didn't know what polenta was. Oh, it's completely Until I opened up the restaurant. Right. I'm like, what the fuck is this? It's polenta. I, it, and they explain what it is. I'm like, oh, it's, uh, what the fuck did I call it? Anyway, I was like, oh. I'm like, what the fuck do you do with this? And yeah. I researched that too. I'm like, oh, shit, this is pretty cool. And finding out the history behind that also, you know? But there's a lot, I mean, Italy is so diverse. People don't really understand. They, they, they think Italy, okay? And right away they think uh, pizza and veal parmesan. Chicken Parmesan. Bro, no one knew what pizza was up until like <laughs> All right. Yeah. And and different parts. I mean, you have you have part of Italy, the Trieste part over there that's by Germany and stuff like that. They eat a lot of sauerkraut. Uh, there's yeah. a lot there's a lot of sauerkraut 100%. in that area, you know? Down in Sicily. Sicily was uh a lot of um uh, what do you call it? Uh, Moroccans, a lot of uh, Sadashain. They call them Sadashain. Yeah. So there's a lot of sweet and sour down there. Uh-huh. You know, couscous, everything that's all the f- uh, cuisine down says. Yeah, yeah. Is, is shared with uh, with the Moroccans, yep. you know, and the Arabs because it's a heavy Arab influence in Sicily. Sure. Um, Campania region, you know, they're they're pretty much, you know, kind of like on their own. But, you know, they were the Greeks and they had the Spaniards there. A lot of the words in French, a lot of the words also like bodega. We uh, the Neapolitans use as a little deli, mm-hmm. but they didn't say bodega. They say bodega, bodega. <clears throat> also, um, uh, like a like an apartment, they call a cuatro. That's another Spanish word, cuatro. But these words only Neapolitans use, and not rest of Italy. It, rest of Italy do not use these words. There's a lot of words that they yeah, don't use. You and know, like their dialect. That's interesting. <clears throat> right, and and they want to they want to call it a dialect to diminish the language itself. Mm. Because they wanted to promote the Tuscan language, which was which is Italian. Right. That's where the Italian language came from. The Piemontese, yeah. <clears throat> the Tuscan. Right. The Tuscan area. Piemont, Piemont is well, more, more up north. Well, the Savoy, like the the unifiers of Italy, they were they were the kings of Piemonte, and uh, King Emmanuel was the king of Piemonte and Sardinia. Correct, but but they 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 chose the Tuscan language okay. to, to represent because because who came out of Tuscany? All those poets. All those, all those uh, famous painters. A lot of famous people came out of Tuscany, and they already Tuscany's took, Florence, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So Frienza. So they already took that. So that language is already known in Spain. It's already known in France. It's already known in England because all these aristocrats, all these painters, sculptors, uh, poets, uh, uh, writers. They, you know, they these these other countries know that language. So right. that's why they picked that language. So, and then they started diminishing all the other languages. 
the Sicilian language. It's a language. Yeah, the well, Neapolitan. I mean, it's a language. You know, now, I mean, now, now they're starting to teach it in school because they don't want to lose it. Right, right, right. So by calling it a dialect, they were just, you know. I mean, I've always understood, and I guess, yeah, I completely understand what you're saying, but I've always understood, like, when I explain what a dialect is um, um, to, to an American who doesn't understand, I'm like, it's explained like that, that, you know, this is like a different language. Like, there's words that are kind of the same, but, like, I explain it, like, I know when you, because when you say dialect to an American, they almost think of, like, a heavy accent. And it's like, no, that's not a dialect. The dialect is like a different language. Right. And you know what I mean? Right. So, um, accent is when, you, when you're in New York and you go to, uh, I don't know, Georgia or England. Georgia or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. Now, you know, they talk with There's, that twang. That's, a, that's, that's an accent. Well, dialect is, if you've ever seen, have you ever seen that movie, The, the Water Boy? With Adam Sandler, I did. Yeah, you've seen it. You 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 know that guy that's like the kind of like New Orleans hillbilly guy that like when he talks, you can't understand anything he's saying. <laughs> right, he's speaking English. But so it, no, that's an that's an actual English dialect from New Orleans well, that I, barely exists like anymore. A Cajun. It's a, uh, Cajun, it's a Cajun, but it's a hardcore Cajun dialect because regular Cajun isn't even right, that. Right, South Carolina, Jamestown, South Carolina has an area also that they speak this dialect. And you can't understand you what can't the understand fuck they're saying. It, you know? There's guys, I met these guys, um, and, and we were, I think we were in Florida. I was in Florida in a bar, and like randomly there were Jamestown, like these. I think Virginia, I forgot. I don't know, so yeah. Right. There was like these mountain men, uh, Highlanders from fucking Scotland. And like, I met a bunch of Scottish people in my life. You grow up in New York, you meet people from fucking all over. These guys were from like the mountains of some island or something. These guys got drunk. You couldn't understand anything they were saying. And it wasn't like, oh, I can't understand some guy from like Manchester, England type of thing. No, bro. Because they're speaking a certain way. Like these guys were speaking a different language, but that's that's what a uh, a dialect is it's a different language that like comes in part from the original language like sure. italian like yeah, yeah. some yeah so um no but you're right yeah i mean a lot of people don't know how much influence like france had for since i mean really since like the fall of the roman empire on italy like up until very recent times yeah, up until the, the 1920s yeah but the bourbonis uh, was spanish the bourbons they were spanish well the bourbons were the were the nobility in the south but like throughout right, that, that's the two sicilies yeah so yeah but the so, two so, sicilies so, 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 so the bourbons who ruled over uh, ruled over naples for many many years right gave naples the first of everything the first library the first this the first that naples is so much full of art and architecture and history that that a lot of people don't know about because Garibaldi, he massacred so many Neapolitans because they resisted. They didn't want to be part of this thing they were doing. Right. And they totally massacred these people to make them fall in line. They would hang their heads in, in the square, put them in cages. There's a whole museum. Well, yeah, they had to, to show they that. Had to, I know exactly what so, you're talking about. Here, so, hold on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab, I got to grab this book real quick. Give me one second. Because so, I know exactly what you're, I just got this book studying this. Um, Yeah, I've been researching this. It's called Ted Oni. Yeah. So this is this is uh this so, is a book by Pino uh uh Aprile. Aprile. 
and it's called Taroni. Um, it, it, they just recently uh, translated it into English, but it's, yeah, it's um, all that has been done to ensure that Italians of the South became Southerners. And um, yeah, you're right. They, they, it's a it's and, a result of you had your own nobility over there, huh? Go ahead, talk. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll hold it up. Yeah. So this is uh, where am I going here? Taroni. You know, check it out. Um, but yeah, I mean, they had their own nobility, the Bourbons. Um, and, so, so did they you know, that was it. Yeah, I mean, the Kingdom of Two Sicilies, like you said, they had a lot of art. They, they, uh, you know, they were coming up um, from the way that we look at history and everything like that. But um, what you got to remember is uh, the Kingdom of Two Sicilies is only since 1816. Now, before that, you have. Um, yeah, the, well, papal the Byzantine states. Empire is yeah, the ruling papal Puglia. States. You have, well, the Papal States, but then France takes yeah. over. Then the, 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 oh, the Spanish yeah. take over. You have oh, yeah. uh, uh, 1,500 years, right? So the fall of the Western Roman Empire is in like 483, all right? Dark you guys ages. can fucking fact check that, but it's right then around the Renaissance there. came. Right, and then you have all these different powers controlling Italy yeah. and controlling the South, the different regions of the South. Um, it's really interesting to look at that, but yeah, they had to. Now, what this um, doesn't explain, and and this is what I was uh, uh, talking about with the other book, is that this story that we're told, it's true, right? That, uh, you know, King Emmanuel and Garibaldi came from the North, unified it, and... You Garibaldi know, the, actually came from Jersey. He right, came right, from right, Jersey right. to fucking stock. Well, he looked people. on Staten Island and everything. <laughs> yeah. Too, yeah, yeah. Actually, he was freshly he freshly came back from Argentina from fighting a revolution down in Argentina. Came back uh, to Jersey, then uh, Sardinian uh, king called him up. It's like, yeah, hey, yeah, yeah. Come over here. Let's 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 yeah. do this thing over here. But they massacred the uh, the the Naples the the Napolitan people because they wouldn't fall in line. So so right. so the north stole all of their riches yes. from the land. Stole it all. And, and starve these people. And that's why you had this huge migration of Southerners coming to America. And and into the North as well, and into, yeah. The, the North went downtown, down, you know, wherever, it, uh, in Brazil or Argentina or whatever, you know, because uh, whatever, but they all came over here, New York. Well, the North I, were they, dirt poor too. Well, that's, well, that's, that's the, the nuance. Well, that, well, that's why when all the Southerners came here to America, they brought all the Parmigianas, all the pizzas, all this, all that. That's why Everybody here in America, when they think of Italian, they think, you know, pizza, the Parmigianas, uh, the provolones, the fresh mozzarella, and that's it. That's what they think Italy is. Yeah. It's not. Uh, 100%. 100%. I mean, that's a diaspora. You know? But but what's lost in that history is the fact that, like, now, uh, you know what I'm saying? It's trickled down. If you fuck over the top, you know what I'm saying? If you fuck over the 1%, obviously the other 99% is going to feel it. But what's not really explained to this thing, though, like the way that these things are written and these histories are written, because they're written from the the aspect of the 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 previous nobility, noble class, the Bourbons that were getting screwed. What's not really explained um, that well is that from, you know, you're living in feudalism until the 1920s from, uh, you know, 
let's say around 500 AD, roughly, obviously it's not exactly this, you know, obviously there's different things that happened over 1800 years, but generally, um, for at minimum conservative number, 95% of the people are fucked. They're living under absolute fucking monarchy, feudalism. And it's like, whether you were living under the bourbons in the kingdom of two, two Sicilies or, uh, you know, obviously when they fuck those guys over and steal a bunch of riches, it makes it worse for everybody. But it wasn't good before that. If you if you weren't working directly for the ruling class or you weren't part of the ruling class, um, and there's obviously like a couple other things changed. like a tax, tax thing. No, but, you know, it has changed because you're talking about Parmesan and you're talking about pizza and this and that and pasta and bread. And that wasn't a reality for 95% of the people. Like these people were lucky to get a Parmesan rind and throw it in their fucking cauldron. If all right. And that's what what's not understood. And I think, and that didn't end really, really end until the economic um, miracle in Italy after world war two. Um, which and now knowing this history i'm really interested to even like um you know a ask your mother and ask different uh, you know like older older people that 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 kind of lived through this you know what i'm saying because she lived through the end of world war ii and like bro i mean well, under before fascism and under fascism you know under fascism you got ration cards before fascism you had feudalism well, you absolute go. monarchy the, the ration card like you said i mean I mean, God forbid if if your neighbors, you know, s smelled you cooking steak. One hundred percent. Yeah, they cooking that's steak all in this book. You know, so I don't they know talk about that. They have to share with people so that they won't rat them out. You right, know what I mean? Right. So what happened was, in order in order not to smell the steak cooking, you know, <clears throat> my mo uh, my grandmother, she used to take uh, in Italy. She used to, you know, get a pot, put water in it, heat up the water, and on top would be a plate. A ceramic plate, um, and she would put the thinly cut steaks on top of this plate, essentially like you know, not even frying or or even roasting or grilling it. It's kind of being cooked by the the steam of the water that's boiling on the bottom, in in order not to give off a steak smell that would travel through the neighborhoods. I right. mean, the, the houses are, are stuck together, you know, and they don't want the neighbors to know that they're having steak, they're having beef. Yeah. In the book, they talk about exactly that. There's you know? a woman that grew up in Milan, and and you know she was talking about, um, you know, just uh, yeah, that like they lived in this tenement building. They 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 cooked on a uh, like some type of like oh, even though they were in a big apartment building, they had a cauldron and they had an open flame. And she was saying that we would take the like something on top of the cauldron and put the steak on there or they would boil it and then they put it on top but people would still like your immediate neighbors would still smell it so and and the only way you're getting this stuff is by robbing it or making a trade or, or doing something like right you know so yeah they would have to share it It'd be like yo you 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 know i don't want to get ratted out i don't want to take a chance yeah. um yeah everybody out there should read this book it's by uh karina karima noche um um she has a middle name too i'm sorry karima if you ever hear this um i'm gonna learn your whole name but it's called um it's one of the best books i've ever read one of the most enlightening books into like how people really lived back in the day um in italy uh it's called the the chewing the fat the history of italian food ways from fascism the dolce vita and it's just kind of like 
Um, it's an eye opener, and it kind of like, I mean, Jesus, what the fuck? Sorry, that's uh, the vacuum cleaner. I should have turned that off. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's, I mean, you got to think, um, I mean, it makes me think that, you know, when you look at, you know, your mother and, you know, growing this stuff, um, you know, uh, definitely a part of it is like, you know, you don't have broccoli rob with them grocery stores and this and that but maybe another part of it is the fact that like when she was growing up it was probably you know really hard to get stuff it was really you know you were low on food a lot of times and now now you're in america and you have a backyard and you have access to fertilizer you have access to seeds and you have access to all this stuff and it's like why wouldn't we grow all the like this is crazy like look we have you know what I mean? They didn't have pesticides until, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? I mean, pesticides were invented in, um, um, you know, I guess the 1900s or whatever they were. But, like, just because something's invented, like, let's say pesticides were invented in the 1900s. The public, depending on where you fucking are, isn't really getting access to it until the 40s, 50s, or 60s. And yeah. this is completely dependent on... Um, what country you're in, uh, you know, what your economic days, where, where that place is as far as like, you know, industrializing and having things, um, you know, readily available and shops that you could go to to buy these things. I mean, even in, you know, uh, when I was growing up, you know what I'm saying? Like you couldn't just, I mean, before the internet, you couldn't just imagine whatever you wanted and find it. You know what I mean? Right. Even though we had stores everywhere and even though, you know, like, you, you, I don't, I don't even, I'm having trouble even remembering. Like, I remember, like, there were things in, like, mail order catalogs, but you needed, like, to send a check. Like, it send was like. Check. Bro, I still accept checks. What are yeah, you talking yeah, about, yeah. man? Checks it was, the like, it was like, how do you even get this stuff? You got to fill out a paper and put a stamp <laughs> on it, and then you got to mail it to somebody, and then you got to, like, how do you even know if they're fucking trying to screw you or not? You know? That's how, I mean. One of the ways that I think Amazon has taken over the fucking world because Amazon, um, the fact that they were able to take, you know, the boomer generation and gain their trust. And it's 100 percent because there are no questions asked like return and refund policy where it's just like you do that. And now it's like because that's what everybody thinks, whether you're whether you're an immigrant or an older person, even like people my mom's age. They wouldn't want to order from the internet because it's like, I can't see you. I don't know who the fuck you are. How do I know I'm not getting robbed? If I get the wrong thing, you know what I mean? Right. How do I know I'm going to get my money back? Yeah. But doing that, and it's just like, oh, you just have this common knowledge that like, oh, if I get the wrong thing or a piece is missing or blah, 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 I call them up. They're going to send me my money back. They're going to send me a new thing. They're not going to ask me to return the other thing because that's a pain in the ass in itself. It's like, oh, I got to return this broken thing that you sent me. Now I got to go find a fucking box. I got to find wow. a FedEx store. You know what I mean? Holy I got to open an email. I got to print it. something out. <laughs> you know, my mother would be like, I mean, I barely know how to do that. I mean, I should know how to do that. I'm a fucking moron for not. But... I barely know how to do that. Could you imagine my mother or your mother like trying to be like, hey, you got to open up your email, then you got to print out like some return label. And then, yeah. but they were geniuses for doing that. But, um, and I digress. 
Yes. So <laughs> what the hell are we talking about? I don't know. That's that's well, a go, whole, go, go, that's go. whole point about this fucking go, thing. That's what we're doing. We're just bullshitting. Going back to the fishing story, my father talked yeah. about fertilizer. We used to we used to collect, you know, the seaweed and bring it back with us. Really? And throw it in the garden and till it into the dirt. Till See, it, Mike, this it. is the kind of things I want to know about. There go you go. on. They, that's go it. on. That's it. That's not it. That's There's it. Be more. Where's the chicken shit? <laughs> That's not it, Mikey. I know there's more to this. <laughs> yeah, my, my my mother likes chicken shit. My father was partial to cow manure. Cow manure? Oh, yeah, he oh, Where did he get it. the cow manure? He would go out east into the farms. Just go out east. Just go out east. Into the farms? Yeah. They actually Bring sell they, the they they actually sell the manure at the uh, you know these specialty uh, at the shops garden garden places. I gotta go to these special garden locations. I was like you know I went crazy when coronavirus hit because I was like all right there's not gonna be food at the grocery stores and people are gonna start eating each other. I better start a fucking garden. Yeah, um, buy plenty of vinegar too because you need to pickle them shits too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I got the jars. I got the fucking jugs of fucking vinegar, bro. I I still got. Like enough pasta and and flour. Well, I used most of the flour because I make fucking bread and pizza all the time. But I still got enough pasta to feed like me, you, fucking Brady, uh, a couple of my neighbors for a whole fucking year if I had to. I was like jarring shit. You know, when we were on hardcore lockdown, I was jarring pasta by Jewel and like giving it out. Yo, keep a couple cans of pasta by Jewel just in case. Just in case, don't you know. Just in case people start eating each other, you know what I mean? Open in case of emergency. Yeah. It's good pasta visual, yeah. you know. Once yeah. all this craziness passes, you can... Uh, you know, ba back to back to steaks in Italy. Yeah. You know, they call steaks in Italy bistecca. Okay. Uh, bistecca. 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 They call... I know they... Even in the South, they say that. South, yeah, south where here in America? No, 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 no. In the south, no, I'm Italy. saying south of Italy. Yeah, yeah. Bistecca. Yeah, yeah. That's where it's. Bistecca, bistecca. So where did bistecca come from? Uh. <clears throat> there, uh, in the port of uh, Naples, there. Uh -huh. Okay, there was um, a bunch of English people, sailors, trading, coming to the port of Naples, and. Uh, <laughs> And uh, they Logan's were, here. <laughs> you know, I think they, I think they had enough of pasta. Yeah, they had enough of pasta, and they were like, "We want some beef steak, beef steak, beef steak. We want some beef steak." Be, and then the Italians made it bisteca. Okay. Questa la bisteca. B, just a B, not and even when, beef. Wait, when was this happening? I'm not sure the date oh, or okay, when, okay. but it, it but. It's, maybe, it's a story. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe it was. I mean, it could have even been in like during well, World War One or World War Two, for all we know. Because when the Americans came in, they brought meat. They were eating meat and potatoes and fucking eggs and pancetta. There's actually a story I heard recently, like one of the legends behind where carbonara came from. Because I think I think it said like the first written record of carbonara spaghetti carbonara wasn't until like 19 like 57 or something and one of the um one of the i don't know legends of how it became a dish was that when the americans came in through uh the the invasion of italy during world war ii uh they brought with them uh powdered eggs and 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 bacon and like pre-cooked like canned bacon and the Italians took this, and you know, and well, in you the know, South, and took spaghetti, and you know. I think that's a that's a that's a little homework that we I need to do also because uh, the other story I heard was uh, Garibaldi's soldiers were called Carbonaros. I, yeah. So 
I heard it came from them. From them. Explain the story. Tell me the story. Well, the, the story I heard that the, you know the Cabernaros, they were just you know they were always dirty, black in the trenches, face all dirty, and the pasta dish is full of pepper. Okay. Full of pepper, right? And so the Cabernaro. So they invented the dish and they named it after them because they I were dirty. Th- yes, that that's the story I heard. But it's something that we need to delve a little bit more so into. The, the other legend is is that I mean these are all like there's yeah. no real real answer. But we'll to this. we'll pinpoint it. I mean we could we could yeah we could definitely do a little history lesson and see other people have definitely looked into this. The other one is is that. Um, and this is probably the most full of shit one, but I think this is actually the most popular one, is that um, guys working at coal mines, right? Where? In Italy, which is, yeah, I know, exactly. No, this is like the most, if you look up, yo, Brady, pull up uh, uh, History of Carbonara right now. I bet you this is the number one story. So it's something that goes along like, there were coal miners who would, who would eat this dish because it was, you know, I don't know, they could take it with them. It was somehow easily transportable or whatever the fuck it was, whatever the reasoning behind it, or easy to make. And then it's called carbonara because the guys mining the carboni, right? The carbon, the coal, right? right? Carboni in Italian. Oh, capito. Si, si, oh, capito. And, and yeah, so they're called <laughs> spaghetti carbonara, uh, car- carbonara because, yeah. All right. Look, the, pull that shit up. I don't know. I, I, I didn't know that Brady, Italy had Brady's cold. bad slow, bro. Come on, Brady. I had to fix the cameras because well, you're dog, man. Well, well, all right, all right. Well, pull it up on here. I want to see while you're, while you're looking. Well, all right, so most sources trace it to Lazio, which is Lazio's the region where Rome is. Uh, bacon, cheese, uh, very similar to cacio e... Wova? Wova? Wova. Wova. Yeah, so, yeah, uh, cheese and egg. Um, dressed with lard. Documented as long as 1839. Uh, 1839, look at that. Well, no, that's a posse. Wova was 1839. Older oh. Italians may have... Second World War. Yeah, name. but you can't go by Wikipedia. <laughs> Wikipedia, you go in there and just change shit. Listen, we're just looking at what well, we're. Well, well, uh, this isn't research. This is yeah. Like no, to Wikipedia. Get, you stay, yeah, see, that ladies and gentlemen, like, stay away from up, Wikipedia. Don't stay away from Wikipedia. Stay ladies away. And it's fine. Look, so the charcoal men, secret society, provided early repressed stages, stages of, of the time. unification. It seems more likely that is an urban dish from Rome, perhaps popularized by the restaurant La Carbonara in Rome. And there you go. So we're all wrong. <laughs> Unre- no, but look, spaghetti carbonara unrecorded before the Second World War. Uh, notably, it is absent from Ada Bonnie's 1930 La Cucina Roma. So that's that's where the idea see, and then it says it all right here. Right. That it was probably the Americans because that brought over, you know, this egg when they were coming through. Because why wouldn't if it was a Roman dish, like everybody says, and from the charcoal workers right. and all this bullshit, then why is it showing up in cookbooks? You know what I mean? It doesn't make sense. Because it wasn't like people weren't writing cookbooks. Oh, oh great. Hold on, hold on. We gotta take care of the dog. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. I'm like all of the. Hey, uh, asshole. What are you doing? Yeah, let me see this. We're gonna we're gonna put this up here. Why don't you uh, stay right there and uh, stay right he's, there and hang? He's funny, right? Give me some carbonara. 
Bro, he's funny. You see, I love, bro, I love never, Logan. He never plays with this thing. You know why he grabbed it? Because it makes noise, and we're ignoring him. <laughs> we're ignoring him, bro. We're ignoring him. <laughs> You're a good boy. Yeah, You're you, you boy. had to see. So the 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 one of the pre-interviews that we did for this podcast, we we closed the door back there because you know we let him in the room. We let Logan in the room. By the way, Logan is my um, uh, 150 pound Rottweiler that I got from Vinny Rotolo, owner of Good Pie Pizza in Las Vegas famous pizza maker his son uh dropped this dog on me Vinny called me up during like the pandemic so we've had logan for uh probably like going on a year now great dog sweetheart super smart but um you, yeah we we he loves being around people we closed the door um and he was like biting it's like a the, the door's like on wheels he was biting the door and sliding it out and then I was talking to a guest and Brady got up and by Logan loves Brady. Brady got up. Who's our producer, by the way. Uh, and, uh, he opened the door and this dog was snarling at him. Mm. And like, I didn't know about it. He didn't tell me because, you know, I was in the middle of like doing this thing. Um, but yeah, so, uh, I mean, I wish I knew cause Logan would have got, a. Spanking? Yeah, he would have got a little spanking, spankaroon. You're not allowed to growl at people, especially when you're 150 pounds. You know, that makes it extra bad. Like, you know, you can kind of get away with growling if you're like a 10-pound chihuahua or however much those things weigh. But when you weigh 150 pounds and you don't do something about that, it causes a big problem. Anyway, Carbonara, <laughs> probably brought over by the Americans. Yeah, I mean, it turns... I mean, it turns out like a lot of this... Um, a lot of these like legends and stuff like that. Um, I mean, what this, what the that that book, um, chewing the fats about is like a lot of these legends were kind of a result of um, after the economic revolution or uh, the economic miracle in Italy after World War II, which I, I believe happened in like the fifties or the sixties. Now you have this abundance, and then you have tourism coming down, and there was, um, you know. Uh, you know, you needed to create these legends and like me. I mean, I always thought a lot of these dishes have been around since like time immemorial. Mm. Like, I always had the idea in my head that like, kind of no matter who you were, whether you were a peasant or a serf or whatever, yeah. like you could get your hands on some flour and blah 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 blah. I mean, it turns out it's a lot more complicated than that because you don't have industrial mills. You don't have like, if you grow an acre of fucking wheat back before i mean re really like for all of italy like before world war ii um you know maybe some people got machineries in the night and machines and then threshing machines to take the seeds off automated in the 1920s most don't you know what i mean you're beating the wheat to get these little tiny seeds and then and then you gotta mill them and then the the whitest of the flour is going towards um that's going to the nobility so now you have this the white flower with a little bit of a brand is going to the nobles so now you got you know the other half of the white flower but now it's mixed with like double to triple the amount of brand and germ which makes it almost black right which you know what I mean? You cook bread with that. It's like a thousand pounds. You can't, this isn't bread that you could like, you know, you think of bread. We have a certain idea of what bread looks like and what it is. 
this is like a fucking brick that you got to chop up and throw it in a cauldron full of water and some kind of like uh, pre-rebolita, rebolita, you know what I mean? Um, to even like be able to eat it. And, and that's after it's cooked. It's not something you could throw in a toaster oven and spread some nice butter onto it. Another amazing thing for that book was like, yo, know, 95% of people had zero access to olive oil. And, and even the one, and it was very expensive if you bought it at a store. And most people didn't trust it because it was counterfeited a lot. But still um, counterfeited. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a whole podcast on itself. We're definitely going to do that it's with uh, David. No, it's really fucking gross. When you look at, when you look at the amount of olive oil um, that's produced compared to how much is exported, the number is right there. Um, it's insane. So can you lay down? Oh, my God. All right. All right. Podcast on pause. I'll be right back. Pause. Logan. We're on pause. All right, so we're back. We were talking about uh, uh, flour and how it's milled today. Um, I mean, I guess only uh, we're going to transition, but I, I, the last thing on that would be, um, um, you know, today, um, if you look at, like, uh, sorry. Um, yeah, today, if you look at, you know, kind of how everything's done on an industrial scale, you know what I'm saying? You have these giant threshers. Um, that are pulling all the wheat. You're able to, um, uh, you know, produce massive and massive amounts of grain. And then they're going into these uh, um, industrial mills where the endosperm, which is the white part of the flower, the inside of the seed, uh, the wheat berry, is being um, separated from the bran, which is the outer coating, and then um, separated from the germ. And today... Uh, most of the brand and almost a hundred percent of the germ is being sold as a nutritional supplement to factory farms, which is, you know, something that you didn't have, like even in the 1920s. Um, so it, it's, it's, you know, we look at things today, um, and, and it's no fault to anybody, uh, the way that we look at, you know what I'm saying? Oh, it's flour, of course. And you don't really realize how hard, um, the flower was to produce and you know what i'm saying like you have you have insects i mean anybody who's ever done a garden in their life uh the first time you do it uh you know and you get tomato hornworms and you get um uh squash vine burrow moss and all these weird cutworms and all these weird creatures like you didn't really know were a thing before you start doing it and you have to imagine that like even like that back a hundred years ago uh, you don't have pesticides. You don't have modern agricultural uh, ways of things. You can't order, you know, today we'll, um, like, I'll order nematodes from laboratories at different beneficial insects. Like, you couldn't do that back then. You know what I mean? I guess if you were lucky enough to have ladybugs in your field and they would eat the aphids, like, you know, you're not going to a store and buying 5,000 ladybugs. So, like, they, these options just aren't there. Um yeah, let's, uh, yo, I want to talk. I'm having a lot of fun talking about, like, what you used to eat back in the day. Like, let's uh, <laughs> let's talk a little bit more about that. I mean, you said soups. We got into that. But um, uh, what kind of pasta dishes would your mom make? Pasta, she was always simple with the pasta dishes. Okay. I mean, she never really went crazy with the pasta dishes. My grandma you know? was, too, really. You know, we had the Sunday sauce every Sunday. What was in the Sunday sauce? Sunday sauce your was... Your mother's, not, not Vittorio's. Right. Your mother's <laughs> my, Sunday my mother's sauce. Sunday sauce was, uh, she had the meatballs, 
beef brajol, which was my favorite. A lot of people made it with pork. Okay. You know, but for some reason, my mom always made it with beef. What kind of beef do you think? Do you, I mean, what kind of beef do you think she was using? Like, well, she now now if you go be, now, now get it from yeah now now if you go to the supermarket and and they'll have a package that say uh, beef for brajol. It actually says it on yeah, there. Yeah, I know. I've or you just that. go just go to your butcher. It's like I need some uh, some meat for brajol. But flank steak works great. Okay. Flank steak is is is, is a beautiful meat to use for right. uh, for for brajol. And each brajol, she would put something different in it. Like traditionally, it's it's garlic, parsley, olive oil, pine nuts. You roll mm-hmm. them up. Stuff in there, fried up, put inside the sauce. One she'll make with raisins and this, and you know, raisins, Parmesan cheese, roll it up. You know, really nice. You know, the raisin one always really got on my nerves because now you're eating this savory, delicious sauce, and now you're biting into a brajol, and it's, you got these raisins in it. Yeah, you know, and we get on my nerves. But now. You I fucking it. love it. Yeah. I appreciate it so much, you know? So, meatball bajol, she'd throw a couple of, you know, pork ribs in there, sausage, you know? It was just, it was just, it, every Sunday was a holiday. And was he, was he, uh, did we had he, to go to church first. Did she, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. No, we had to go to church. Yeah, right. So, you go to church and then we you go to church. Son, the, and then the, you go to work. Yeah, the old man used to open up a little later on Sunday. Okay. So, we all stayed together to eat. What time would you eat early? We would eat about twelve o'clock. Twelve o'clock. Yeah, in the twelve afternoon. o'clock because because the old man had, we had to open up the place at two. Well, yeah, but a lot of Italian fam- like my family, we 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 never ate uh, later than two on Sundays. Like it was two o'clock, you would start eating. Um, as soon as I get up, you just smell the sauce. Now, now for the Sunday sauce, would she just like throw the stuff right into the tomatoes, or would she sear it first? Like what she, was that? she would, she would, uh, she would pre-fry the the meatballs. Pre-fry the meatballs. And that, that was a, that was that was a tremendous treat for all of us because it was right breaded. Pot, right? It was breaded. Okay, on the f- outside. On the outside, it's uh. breaded on the outside. Okay, and she would fry it, and then she would smash it down. Like a fucking smash burger, yeah, like a smash oh, burger, man, and we I'm get and, and that she'll, idea. she'll she'll give us a few of this and that. It was the best thing, the Romano cheese, the Pecorino cheese that 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 came out. It, it, it's it's great, and um, salad traditional, just a traditional salad, oil and vinegar, and uh, either, either penne or rigatoni. Usually what, it was what more was rigatoni, it, like cucumbers, olives, tomato. Nope. No, plain, plain. Uh, uh, comes these, um, either she used chicory. Chicory? Chicory. Okay. Or uh, um, the regular lettuce. The hell? Uh, iceberg. 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 Yeah. My favorite. Yeah. You know? And that's it. Oil and vinegar, salt and pepper. That's it. So no now no you, tomatoes, nothing. Well, it's, yeah. I mean, right, that dish right there didn't need any of that because you ate that, you ate a salad with your dish, with, okay. with your Sunday sauce, okay? And the vinegar with the sauce itself, you know... You, and we used to actually mix it. We used to t- take the salad, put a meatball and sauce on it, eat the salad with the sauce on it. I actually got a dish like that at Vittorio's. Really? I do. I it's it's uh, it's uh, it's uh, I I, uh, I took my childhood and I put it in a dish. So I took those mini iceberg lettuce. We I chop it in four, open it up, and I pour two meatballs and sauce on, and I top it with a burrata. Oh, nice. And that's 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 a lunchtime meal, and people go crazy over it. It's delicious, you that's know. Beautiful. So the sauce acts like a, like a dressing. Right. People love it. And, and would, did she go for like, um, you know, mostly dried pasta? Or did she ever do any like? Uh, yes. Any yeah. No. We we uh, we did uh, mostly dried pasta because pretty much all of us liked it al dente. Okay. We we really we really liked it al dente. Right. Uh, my father used to make a mean um, um, uh, risotto pescatore. 
Risotto okay. a pescatore. Delicious. Uh, how hey, we what was it in it? Tell me all the ingredients. All <clears throat> the ingredients, Mike. It was whatever. It was whatever fish that was available. Okay. Yeah. Clams, so, mussels, shrimps, calamata, octopus, uh, sepia, whatever. Whatever whatever was there, you know? So it wasn't all the same ingredients all the time, but whatever just, was do there. Do you remember I did the risotto at all? Or did you prepared it? Was yeah, it the, a barrio? Yeah, the, ris the risotto was a barrio risotto. You have the other one, the carnanoli risotto, which is better than, than that, but they both give us, you know, the same kind of starch. You don't want to use Uncle Ben's or any of that yeah, because yeah, there's yeah. no starch. You, sure. You're looking for that starch. Yeah. So he would he would pre cook the he would pre cook the the risotto in a pan, with uh, with garlic, and uh, clam juice. Okay. So we had clam juice. So clam juice, cook it, reduce, another ladle, cook it, reduce. All so, clam juice. All clam juice because it absorbs the uh, rice yeah, absorbs yeah, all that seafood flavor. Right. And then once that's done, then you assemble it. So now you take the sauce and everything else, and then you assemble it. Not a lot of sauce. You don't want a soupy. You want it kind of like a rosy color. Mm -hmm. So And then you just assemble it and add the sauce to it, add the shells, add the fish and everything. It was uh, the best thing ever. That sounds, that sounds beautiful. You yeah. probably don't even have to add salt because you have all the salt right. from the— I can't wait the, to make you a dish. From the, yeah, that will be fucking amazing. What um and what were you saying? You say pasta. She kept it simple, so just marinara sauce with some spaghetti and panna. Right. You know the biggest thing with us, what we really enjoyed, you know, was uh, was a simple dish, and it was uh, uh, spaghetti con aglio e olio. Okay. Garlic and oil. Garlic and oil. Pasta with garlic and oil with little pepperoncini in it. It was satisfying. It was wholesome. It was good. Right. And and none of us kids had a problem with it. We enjoyed it. We looked forward to that, something like that. White clam sauce. We all love white clam sauce. So you, you, you see the theme there, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you know, yeah. we're like that, you know. And a lot of these places, a lot of these kids that I grew up with, didn't know what this was. And we lived on an island. Right. Clams. We, I don't like fish, you know. So we came to, even my girls now, my girls love vegetables. Broccoli, spinach. They eat it. They ask for it. Mm -hmm. Okay. A lot of kids don't like it. And the only reason why I think they don't like it is because it's not prepared the right way. That I think that's a huge reason why. Um, I think another reason why is just that I mean, Steve Broccoli's nasty. Well, well, if you watch um, cartoons on Nickelodeon or Cartoon Network, um, you know what I'm saying, that these kids generally watch, even in the cartoons, they'll be like, oh, broccoli, gross. Right, like, right. You know what I'm saying? And this right. is what they're exposed to, and blah, 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 blah. And then you'll... You'll even have, um, I mean, I've even seen a lot of cases where you have adults that'll be like, oh, broccoli's gross. Because there's a lot of, you know, people my age and people your age that still don't eat uh, their fucking vegetables. <laughs> you know what I mean? And they, they, then they, uh, you know, they're passing that along and everything. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm really, really about, um, you know kind of what I call the, you know, Italian or French or European um, child-rearing methods when they're, when it comes to food, where it's just like, yeah. you know, I mean, you go to France even today or you go to Italy today, and it's like, yo, you're eating what's on the table. Like, we're not, Pretty much. We're not cooking. Uh, yeah, no, you're right. We're not cooking uh, special meals for you, you know what I'm saying? Another, we spent an, all this time. Another dish my mother used to make was called menestre. Okay. It was uh, escarole stewed with... Uh, Big piece of flank steak, couple of pork bones in there, a couple of beef bones in there, <laughs> so a prosciutto, little like a, a the end piece of the prosciutto to give it really flavor. It's really good, and uh, something she used to make is called she called it pizza rosso, pizza rosso. 
pizza rooster. Russo, Russo, like red. Oh, Russo. What she, 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 what she did was, and I'll make it for you too, it's really freaking good. She took spaghetti, okay, and she mixed, um, um, there you go, yeah, she mixed uh, um, like a polenta with it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> polenta. And, uh, and she, she would bake it like, like this flat bread with, with a lot of oil, and when it was done, it was just really, really crispy, like cracker with the spaghetti and everything else i i can't i can't describe the flavor but it was really delicious and it went it paired really well with this stew but i'm gonna have to cook it for you next yeah, time. yeah 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 no, show, we'll show it on your next it. program well i got i've been i've been going crazy i've been asking uh you know my father and my aunts you know what i'm saying like all the things that they remember from when they were kids right. and uh, my my dad just texted me this uh a couple days ago i was like he said here's uh nona's dishes um, you know, his mother and it was, um, you know, this is the stuff that she would make all the time. So it was uh beef soup, pasta and beef and tomato broth, uh, pasta and broccoli soup, pasta vajol. Um, she would do, I guess, a mac and cheese with ground beef. That mm. was her, uh, probably American yeah, thing, yeah. uh, stuffed breast of veal, zucchini flowers, um, egg to zucchini, yeah, zucchini flowers. Yes. Yeah. And she would say it says egg battered and breaded, uh, tripe, spaghetti, tripe. Uh, al olio, al olio, uh, al olio, uh, and then it says steak, steak. Uh, I, that sounds like something you said before. I bet the alley. I bet the alley. Spelling. Uh, maybe he meant pizzaioli. Yeah. No, I think it's what was that soup that you steak. said before that said sounded like that. I said pizzile. No, the you peas. said something with an a. Pasta when you were naming all of them. Pasta fazul, no, pasta you said pasta. I, bet, uh, I don't know. Whatever. But yeah, it right. says skirt steak with uh, tomato sauce and onions. I mean, that sounds like pizza. Oil. And then uh, chicken cachetor. Chicken mean, cachetor. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean. <laughs> did, you, did your mother ever do rabbits at all? Rabbits. Yeah. I love rabbits. Yeah, yeah. She was really good at rabbits. She, she rabbit with potatoes roasted or rabbit cacciatore, you know. But, you know. Again, back when I was a kid, she brought that Italian mentality with her. Okay? Right. We would we would either go to, you know, Brooklyn over here. We would go to Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Uh, right off of, uh, you know, I think it was Court Street or by Henry Street down there. And they used to have a slaughterhouse there. Oh, yeah. So she used to go there and, and, and get the Like a wet market. Wet like market. Like the place down the street. Yeah. yeah, yeah where I get, yeah, I you go, go there, get the chickens right I want, down I want that bunny. I want that bunny or whatever. Yeah, I want yeah, that yeah, chicken. Yeah. They, they slaughter it right there, you know? Right. So when we moved out to Long Island, you know, they were still kind of like didn't know where anything was. So, she, you know, she would buy these live rabbits and we would raise them. And then when we were in the mood to have rabbits, she would slaughter the rabbit herself. Yeah. That's, that's fucking that, great. That's, Nothing, how, that's how it was. Yo, listen, you know? Anybody that thinks there's a problem with that, especially because uh, I know a lot of people that think there's an issue with that, that um, they're, they're meat eaters. And they have especially shame on you, you know what I'm yeah, saying, 100%. for thinking that's disgusting or whatever. You're eating them bomb chickens every fucking day of your life. You're eating fucking trash. Yeah. And you got a problem with somebody that takes it into their you know, yeah. own hands and does it the right and, way. And, it's, and, it, uh, and it was normal for us to come home and see... Uh, and see a rabbit tied over the sink upside down. And so, it, and yeah, it, so you it bleed was it. it. You got to bleed it. Yeah, it was bleeding out, you know? Yeah. And then we would skin it, 
You know, right. I, I would I, she would hold the thing and I would take the skin and I would we would skin it. So so now we have this all this fur. I guess we could have made leather out of it or whatever. But now you have the rabbit. So now you start butchering the rabbit. You know, the legs and this and that, blah blah blah, and roasted. Delicious, fucking delicious. Actually, I enjoy rabbit more than chicken. It's more, te- it's more wholesome. It's more unctuous. It's more, I don't know. It's got that I, it, something different than chicken. It's it's a really good piece of meat. Rabbit yeah. is great. Everybody should have rabbit. I I agree. When I had the restaurant in um, uh, Pizzeria del Corso, I mean, we used to have rabbit all the time yeah. on the menu. Um, yeah, I mean, over there we were. I, I I was lucky enough. I had a chef that um, I used to work with at Cipriani's, and you know, before that, he was a lot older than me. He was actually a guy from Ecuador, Jose, and he had worked at um, you know, a lot of these uh, you know Vespa and a lot of these like uh, okay. upscale places in in the city, like for years and years right. before I was even on the scene, and I worked under him at Cipriani's, and then. Um, you know, I, uh, you know, he came when I, when I opened the restaurant, I had him come, you know, work with me. And I was always, you know, I was trying to push the envelope. I was just like, I don't want to serve just like, you know, the yeah, regular yeah. stuff. I want right. to do, uh, you know, we would go to the market. I remember one time, um, you know, cause we, you know, we were in on Avenue U in Marine Park. So we had a, like a lot of regular customers and we bought, we went to this, um, I think it was like over somewhere near Canarsie, there was a fish market and we bought barracuda, right? And we had barracuda on the menu and I forget exactly the preparation that we did, but I remember one of our customers was like, what do you, you have barracuda on the special? I'm like, yeah, barracuda. And he was like, what are you trying to fucking kill people? And I was like, what are you talking about? And like, I I guess uh, there's some type of like poisonous barracuda. Somehow you can poison people. I I don't know what it was. Scorpion fish, you know, you got to take away the blowfish. You can't eat this, but you can only eat this. Right, right. It was something weird. I don't know exactly. I I forget exactly what the nuance was with it. But we used to do this. um, You know, we had a a lot of Italian American customers, but they were all a lot of, most of them were like second or third generation. Americanized. Uh, Yeah, so we couldn't, we would do this. um, uh, homemade papadelli with uh, with an oxtail ragu, but I knew that if I wrote oxtail ragu on the menu, that nobody would fucking order it. So I put like, you know, papadelli uh, uh, ragu al, al carne, or you know what I mean, right, like right, whatever. Right. What I just wrote meat in right. Italian, right? Um, and. You know, we but that that's this point I was making before when my opening chef's like, listen, Mike, let's just give them what they want because you want to put all this stuff on there, you know, you can just get yeah, they're gonna read it and they're gonna get like turned away. No, you're 100 percent right. But they would, uh, I remember uh, this guy Rocky, his wife, like they used to, they had a party of like 40 people there, and that you know, a lot of my customers they were great because even though like they were they'd be scared by oxtail, be scared by rabbit, um, you know. Rocky and his family, they'd make the wine and they would bring in the big demijohn, like this, like giant demijohn. We'd put all the tables together. They'd put the demijohn right in the middle of the table. It had to be, I don't even know, probably like 20 gallons. It was like a giant thing. And then they would take a hose, like, or a piece of plastic with the ends cut on either side. They would pull it, the siphon, and then they'd have this giant hose and they would rubber band it. And then when you, it'd be hanging off the table. And when you wanted a glass of wine, you would take the rubber band off and then you'd 
I see, I see. Yeah. So they would do like all these old school things. But yeah, his wife was like, Nino, you got to tell me what's in this ragu. And it, it was like, it was, I had very little tomatoes in it. It was just like, you know, uh, you know, kind of like a broth based uh, ragu with very little tomatoes. So it was very brown gravy looking. And I was like, listen, uh, you don't want to know. If I tell you, and she's like, all right, you said that. I don't want to know anymore. And it wasn't anything crazy. It was oxtail. Um, But she was like, listen, you got to jar this for me. I'll give you like $15 a jar. And I was like, no problem, miss. I'll do that right away. But, yeah, I mean, it was the same. I mean, I see, like, you know, that's why I'm, like, so curious about, like, you know what I'm saying, kind of the evolution and, like, what were the... um, um, kind of like the things that you saw that brought you over to that and what was like you know what i saw this guy do this that sounds really good and that you know even though people don't know about it that's traditional um i'm trying to think i mean we we were doing the regard to semolina and yokis and you know back then nobody yeah. was like not on our level doing they it. weren't doing semolina gnocchis you were making we were making, yeah, we would take the regatta, a couple eggs, um, semolina flour. We would knead that, and then we'd put it in, uh, we'd roll it out into ropes. Everything was by hand. Right. Um, sometimes we would add, um, uh, like, pureed beet or pureed spinach to give it different colors. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we would just take a fork and cut up the little dumplings, and on the cut side, you would roll it you know off the fork and right you know i'm still to this day i know uh, like i'm i'm probably the last time i made it was like a year ago but like i'm still like a machine just from all of that hold that long repetition uh, the muscle I mean, memory still oh there. my god we used to yeah we were doing um we didn't have a pasta machine until our second month we didn't have a cheese grater jeez like on the we had the hobart but the the no we had the hobart and the cheese grater but the problem was was the there's like if you, if, if those at home, if you guys don't know what a Hobart is, it's just a giant KitchenAid. And if you look in, if you've ever seen a KitchenAid, the attachment thing has a little square in it. So that square was um, uh, for the gear for the. Yeah, it's for the gear that you put in the cheese thing. But how do you call it? It was stripped. Right. Oh, geez. The inside was stripped. So I called the guy and the guy was like, yeah, it's going to be like 600 bucks to fix that. So we couldn't fix it for like months. <laughs> So I had uh, I had like knuckleheads from the neighborhood that I was paying like five dollars an hour Just downstairs. <laughs> like they were all drug addicts and they were like nodding out like grating cheese on a box grater, you know, because we're selling like pizzas. So they got like giant blocks of grande on the oh cheese grater. And you would go down there. They'd be like five guys. You know, that I'd be like, you know, like just knuckleheads from the neighborhood that I would just yeah. they, they come and beg it. I'm like, hey, I'll give you 20 bucks if you go grate some cheese for three hours, <laughs> you know? So uh, that's a cool story right there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. That was back in the day. The good old days. The good old days. The good old days before I was uh, doing podcasts and learning uh, yeah. all the crazy shit that I'm able to learn now. Yeah. I remember when the cheese blocks came tied together with metal. It, wait, what? With metal. I don't know. Well, you see how it is now? It's cinched on each end. Cinched. Well, oh, yeah. No, I do remember that. Yeah, it was, the it was, Grande had the little metal, metal on the end. Oh, ends. my God. Yeah, I do remember that. <laughs> that was crazy. Yeah, I remember. I cut myself on those things before. <laughs> um, so much things have changed, man. I mean, it's, it's incredible. Even the flower bags. The flower bags are just like triple, triple, whatever. 
with the strings. Nid, yeah. yeah, the nip, the nip yeah. Closet. yeah, you used to just be able to like pull it right off. Yeah, and I think there was metal in there too, or something, man. But shit. Reminisce, bro. Yeah. I miss those fucking times. And you know what? I really do think the flower was different back then. You know, it could be the same. I mean, because, it, it because probably the, was. Because the pizza changes all the time. The pizza really cooked a lot different back then. And that's what I tried to recreate, you know, mm -hmm. through manipulation and whatnot. Because when, when we got those white boxes to proof the pizzas in, the pizzas were never the same after that. I was like, there's something not right. You know, you make the, you open it up, it's full of water. Mm -hmm. You know, now you know why it's full of water, you know, but well, I mean, it could be like the plastic versus the fiberglass and the, the, the I, cold I, versus the hot. I mean, one thing wooden metal, I, I think wooden metal really has an effect on the dough. Oh, it definitely Fi does a completely prop. different effect. So I always knew that, you know, using the cans like I could do the same exact recipe and I, I've been weighing my ingredients for a long time. So I knew it wasn't like something where I right. was eyeing something out the wrong way and that was the difference but i i didn't know why scientifically right, why right um i just knew it to be true uh that if i put it in these metal things and i, I you know what i would what i was um what i would tell people what i thought you know what i mean i don't know but what i think is that you know i'm doing a little bit of a higher hydration and i'm doing like more of a fermentation like warm so if you put that into the trays, then it's gonna kind of flatten out like a pancake. Um, but if you put it in the metal, the 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 edges, yeah, the the round can, the edges give it support so it can rise up and get that full fermentation. And then you know, I'd also say that it would stay colder. Yeah, um, right. which it does, it which does. is true. It gives it a longer um, fermentation time as opposed to the plastic or fiberglass. Right. And I'm trying to think what else I used to think back then that it was. Um, I mean, I guess that's it. I was like, I, I mean, the rest of it, like, I don't, I didn't really know. And then uh, uh, Francisco, um, uh, me. Oh my God, I always say his name wrong. Mioga, uh, the guy from Modernist Cuisine. He's a head chef for Modernist Cuisine. This guy's like a scientist, and he did Modernist Bread. You know, he was a co-author on that. Um, he's going to be on the podcast soon, so you guys check that out. Um, but, yeah, he uh, – I showed him my whole process, and he was like he, – he said, I'm not going to get this exactly right, and if you guys want the exact right version, when listen to uh, Francisco's when he comes on because we're going to go through this. Um, but – he was saying something along the lines of like, you know, there's a lactic acid bacteria and lacto. Um, and those two different bacteriums create different flavors. So like the lactic um, gives you that umami and that sourness and like, you know, I guess pumps up like the carbon dioxide maybe. I don't know. When you're doing a warm fermentation, that's what's, that's what's prevalent, the prevalent bacterium. Um, and bacterium outnumbers yeast 101. So uh, Francisco's thought is that it's even more important than the actual yeast and the strains of yeast is the different stripes, uh, strains of bacterium because there's a lot more of them. Mm, right. um, they're harder to control and they're the main, um, uh, they, they create the flavor like more than anything else. Um, now, when you do cold fermentations, you have lacto. So what he was saying is he's like, you're doing this really long warm fermentation, which is... Um, getting you the lactic and then 
you're throwing them in the fridge and your fridge is pretty cold. You know, my fridges are like 39, 40 degrees, you know, a little bit colder than like most fridges. 36, are like, they got to go down to 36, at least out, out in Long Island. They want you down to 36. Really? Yeah. I know. Yeah. Here it's 42, but most fridges are between like 42 and 45, like especially in the restaurant business. Like that's that. Yeah. You know. And, and that, that's, that's really important temperature. That's why I had the, like uh, the refrigeration guy install uh, temperature thing where I could raise it and lower for it. the meat fridges. No, for the oh, dough. for the pizza for, for the, the dough, dough fridges. Yeah, where you can raise it and pull it. Right. But what it, what he was saying was he was like, listen, you're he's de- he had never even seen the cans, and uh, we were talking about this in um, uh, earlier podcast. Uh, like the cans were actually what was used um, when the when the um, Bari, which originally was the Frank. Um, but Mastro, Frank Mastro invented the deck oven. Which um, was, uh, what was it, was it Blodgett? No, well, he worked, he invented it, he designed it, and then he worked with J.G. Blodgett okay, um, to to uh, get the temperature gauges mm-hmm. and all that, but he invented it. Right. He just partnered up with Blodgett, but it was his oven. That And the Mastro oven became a uh, Bari oven. So... Uh, Mr. Bari bought his shop and it's the uh, Frank Master's shop is the same thing. I'll show you the whole video. We watched it on a previous and podcast. If you guys want to check out the podcast with Joe Riggio, we watch the whole video and talk about this. But he also invented the pizza dough can and um, the the dough retarded, the dough uh, uh, it was called the dough aerator is what he called it. A like door Yeah, so in the we actually have the original corporate video. Did he also invent those screens? He might you know, have, those, bro. Those, they those, invented a lot of stuff, bro. Screens? Yeah, you got to watch his video. We already watched it on a separate podcast, so I'm not going to pull it up. But after we're done, we'll pull it up on the big screen and we'll watch it together. It's amazing. It really makes you think. But this video is from like 1963, mm-hmm. and he only invented the deck oven in like 58. Um, but... Yeah, but what Francisco said was, he was like, listen, most people, like, they're either, especially bread making, they're either doing, like, 100% cold or 100% uh, warm. And I know that to be true, like, kind of in different areas of whatever. Now, if you do a warm and cold fermentation in a plastic, you're not getting that dough super cold super quick. And even when you get it as cold as it could go plastic doesn't conduct uh temperature like metal does so that absorb the coldness yeah Yeah. so the cold gets so much colder when it's in the metal so he's like you're getting all the benefits of both worlds he's like you're getting this warm fermentation creating all this lactic bacterium that's doing its job creating the flavors doing what you want it to do then you stick it in the fridge it's getting super cold super quick wiping that bacterium out creating the perfect environment for lactobacterium right and then, yeah, you're doing what everybody's right. trying to do, but you're doing the best of both things, and you're not getting because there's pros and cons to both. And that's because um, of science. We know this because of science. Thank you, science. Thank you, modernist Thank you, uh, cuisine, modernist bread. Yeah, we, guys, we always knew something. We always knew something. Yeah, yeah, we knew something. I mean, modern. I mean, the modernist bread thing. A lot of people, um, you know, it's it came down a lot in price. I think it was originally like twelve hundred bucks. Um, and now it's like, uh, I think I saw it on Amazon for like 500 something, which to people, I mean, you think that's a lot. Well, no, look how many books you got. I mean, I mean it's 40 pounds worth of books. And it's like they went through every fucking bread book ever made for three years. 
And it's just like you don't need another book after that. Like I'd always recommend like Tartine Bread by Chad Robertson. And there's, you know, a few other in there that I would definitely recommend. But, you know, you buy 10 bread books on or books on bread. You know, you're spending 400 bucks easy right there. Yeah. So why not just spend the right. 500 in one shot? Right. It's just it's a mental trick that's played where it's like, wait, how could a book cost 500 bucks? It's not a book. It's, it's like fucking five six books, books so and six. each one of the six books it's is less like than, 10 bucks. Oh, it's like less than 100 bucks a book. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. well, well, no, but the books are giant. The books are I know. big. You know, they weigh uh, 10 pounds. How much does an average I, book I, weigh? This weighs <laughs> like a pound. You know what I mean? Taroni by Pilo Aprilia. Aprilia? Yeah, I got to... April? April. April. Like the, like the thing. Yeah, we got to read that. Yeah, so... Um, what makes Mike's pizza different? Uh, you know, what makes Mike's pizza so good? I know, I mean, if you guys don't know Mike's pizza, it's located in a secret, uh, Mike's underground located in a secret, uh, place somewhere in the Massa pizza, Massapequa area of, uh, Long yeah, Island. Massapequa, Long Island, by the way, is also referred to as Massa pizza because there's so many fucking pizzerias there that... They just call it Massa Pizza, but you oh, know. we're on the border, Amityville and Massapequa. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, what makes what did you do differently? What makes it special? What are you you know, tell me about it. Or t- I know about it. You tell everybody fucking else about it. Oh yeah. Remember, what, do you, what, not, I, I, what, what do you want to know about it? I mean, um I wanna know fucking everything, Mike Vittorio. <laughs> just start from wherever you want to start. Uh you be, know be specific. <laughs> be be specific. Oh, that's a cheer. Um I don't know. I, what makes it spe- what makes it good? I mean, uh, it's uh, what makes it good is having a lot of these people that are members, and there's quite a few of them that really enjoy it. I guess that makes it really special for me. I mean, um, I mean, you know, you know, help me out. it's hard for me. It's hard for talk about myself. Let's you know? talk. I mean, let's, let's talk, talk about, about you, the you know? pizza. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk about the pizza. Like, what do you do to the pizza that that's uh, you know? I mean, not necessarily different, but. Um, well, it, it's 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 more more of a process than a lot of places do, and I understand why they don't do it because you do need time, um, and you do need space, and you do need a lot of refrigeration mm-hmm. to to produce a, 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 an artisanal product that I'm doing. Right. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm I don't mass produce, so when I run out, I run out because it's not like oh my god, we run out of dough and the phone is still ringing. Quick, make a batch of batch of dough, throw 50 pounds of yeast in it, hot water so we can get instant. I mean, don't even do that. You'll lose customers and, sure. the, and the product is, is is crap. Yeah. You know, and I know a lot of places that do that because they don't want to turn customers down. But, you know, sometimes, you know, you want to keep the integrity of your product. You got to have to do that, you know. So, 100%. So, you know, I, I use, um, you know, I use a kind of like a Vega or a Polish uh, pre-ferment, more of a pre-ferment pre-ferment, than yeah. anything else, you know. It kind of gives uh, the dough a, a jump start by a couple of days. So, if, if you know, if you want your dough to ferment for at least four days, you know, you pre-ferment it and it'll give you three days so you can use it a lot quicker and, and also adds those flavors that we were just talking about into the dough. And people absolutely love it. Everything they talk about, they talk about the crust of the dough. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's it's a, it's a process, and and just like uh, and the main ingredient in that process, as you know, because you make some fantastic pizza yourself, is patience. It's yeah. time. That's that's the s- magic secret ingredient right there. 
patience and time will turn that product into something special. If if I make the dough today and use it tomorrow, it's not. It, it, it will not be the same. It, right. It won't be the same. The flavor won't be there. The dough act, would act differently. Would act more uh, crumbly than 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 a crunch. So so I I don't do that. Yeah, the one thing that I see, um, you know, I've been hanging out with you at Mike's for a while, and it, it, it's kind of reminiscent of how, like, um, Anthony Monagieri from Moon and Pizza Napoli Don, like, when I love go see guy. him, I love that guy, too. And, you know, I've I've, I've had the opportunity, I'm lucky enough to be able to spend, um, you know, a decent amount of time with him, like, over the years from... You know his spot in the East Village. I, I got to go out a couple times to visit him in San Francisco, and then uh, when he opened in the Lower East Side, and you know I've talked to Anthony a lot on the phone, and you know b- bullshitted for hours, but um, you know he's always kind of um, like he's like the most extreme end of it, but like you know one week. You know, for like two months, he'll just mix by hand, and then I'll be like, "I don't like how it's coming out." And they'll switch to a spiral machine, and then and then it'll switch to a diving arm mixer, and then he'll be like, "I hate the way the pizza's coming out with the diving arm mixer." Bro, aren't we all like that? And he changes flowers every bed. No, no. 99.9% 99.9% of people are not changing flowers and hydrations and mixing methods and every fucking other thing based on a fucking whim. Um, I'm sure you don't like to talk about this, but I see you doing it all the time. And I think the main ingredient, it's just like that obsession and that, um, you know, you're, you're, you're never is. fucking satisfied. No. Um, Cause I've seen you probably use, Four different types of flowers at different points. Yeah. I've seen you uh, different hydrations, different timing on the fermentation. It's always changing. It always leads to a great product, but yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, how many guys are really doing that and paying like such close attention? So, yeah. um, you know, it's funny because because you know uh, I have had to hire a few guys, uh, pizza people, uh, and pizza assistants that worked in other places, mm-hmm. and uh, they just made pizzas. However, they just made the dough, they just made the pizza, and that's that, you know? Right. Now they've been working with me for about a year, and now they're, they notice things now because I point things out. Now they're amazed at how the dough is cooking a certain way because I did a certain thing to it, mm-hmm. you know, which, you know, either, either a long ferment, a little bit more hydration, or whatever the case is, they notice it now. They come to me, it's like, Mike, Mike, this one came out really good. Look, before yesterday, the, the same dough yesterday wasn't doing this, but today it's doing this. Look, how about, you know, so they're so, they, you know, you know, I, I try to be passionate about a lot of things I do, and I, and I hope that, you know, it, they get, like, um, infected by that passion. Right. And, and it shows, because now they care, and they see, and they want to learn. They want to learn. Before, it was a chore to make the dough. Now it's like, Mike, can I make the dough? Can I make the dough? You yeah. know, which is great because they they're wanna, into it. They want to feel it. They yeah, wanna they like want to see like what is this like? It, they want to make is, it from day one, and they want to see the results four days later. It is kind of like a magical thing. Like I always uh, like I'm kind of like uh, I'm I'm rooted in tradition, but also the science. Um, um, and and you know, like some guys I'll talk to, and they're just like you know oh it's this thing and and they swear it's this thing they don't really know scientifically it's this thing they swear it's a thing and i don't think there's anything wrong with that and then there's other guys who are just like no this is a science 
And I mean, I think there's like truth in both kind of, because I think there's things that we really don't understand. Like if I were to talk to Francisco, he's like, this is it. And I can't wait to go out to Seattle and really like put that stuff. I'm like, all right, all right, Franny, Franny boy, make me this then. I want to see the fermentation bubbles. Like go like, uh, I, love on the guy. I love fermentation bubbles. Um, and really see what, like, you know what I mean? Like, what all that stuff is. Um, and you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. Maybe the guy's fucking 100%, right? Uh, I, probably not, though. There is, I think there's things when it comes to fermentation and when it comes to yeast and when it comes to all these things that, like, it, it's like, yeah, you can get almost there yeah, with just can, the science, but yeah. you're not getting, like, the obsessiveness of, yeah. like, I'm trying to look for this. And maybe it's objective what we're trying to look for, but it does, I think, really, really make it special and really make the difference in it. And also, I mean, you're putting a story behind these things, and, it, you know, um, taste and, um, you know, what people like is, you know, it can be a very personal thing. It could be a very like, you know, somebody can fucking uh, uh, love white bread. And that's like uh, a thing that comes from their childhood and blah, 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 mm -hmm. blah. I, I think there's somewhere, though, that it's like, you know, making something a certain way. You can have something that's like it's truly good. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And it's like it doesn't if, if somebody doesn't like that thing, then they're fucked up. You yeah. know what I'm saying? It's kind of like I guess I guess the best way to put it would be like, you know what I mean? If 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 you like your uh if you like your steak uh boiled and well done as opposed to medium rare aged and and seared right. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? Obviously you, you something's going on in your fucking head. <laughs> it's kind of like that with like bread and pizza. It's right. like if you like some uh you know uh I don't know, like garbage, like, you know, unfermented thing. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like, like in a boiled, well done steak. It's just like, right, you exactly. Can, you can like that, but it doesn't mean you, you're wrong. You know, the, you know the, what I mean? Uh, the people are paying us. Yes. For the, to buy a pizza, to purchase a pizza, but they're really paying us for, for our knowledge. Mm -hmm. You know, they're paying us to make sure that that product is, is supposed to be how it is. You know what I'm saying? Right. That's why I just don't want to throw anything out there because, you know, they they're relying on me to make sure that that product is exactly what you know what I'm offering you know whatever. Um, when you buy a Twinkie, that Twinkie is the same today, next week, next year, ten years from now. It's always the same product. It's like ah, oh, they probably had an off day today. It's it's not the same. No, it can't fucking be off. It's got to be the same. Mm -hmm. That's what people are paying us for. You right. know. That that and that's why I you know I run out of dough I you know things ha things happen where you know I don't want to give them a, a product that's not good but just to make money like, it, you know I, you know I, I'm I'm not in business to make money right you know I'm in business to to showcase my passion and and show people you know what I could do if they like it and they think that I'm a, I'm the best then great. I don't do it for the money. The money is a byproduct of what I of my passion, of what I do. So I don't strive to make that dollar, you know? Mm -hmm. It's what it's just it's just a byproduct. I want to give these people what I enjoy doing and hopefully they could see it through through the product, the, the passion. And I think most people that that uh, that are members of the, of the underground, you know, think Well, yeah, no, 100%. I think I think a lot of people that get caught up in that, you know, what we're calling right now that paper chasing and that money chasing and this and that, 
a lot of times are doing themselves a disservice. Like I know yeah. I've had a lot of conversations with guys where like, um, now listen, I'm a certain way. I feel a certain way about certain things, but I'm not fucking God. All right. And, and like, just because I feel, uh, pineapple doesn't belong on pizza or that, um, you know, buffalo chicken or, or steak or salad. Uh, like, I don't fuck with these things. I'll probably never fuck with these things. That is, but that's a personal choice. Right. Okay. Now, from a business perspective, I mean, you were talking about before, um, uh, you know, you don't want to lose a pizza sale that day. You run out of dough and then you throw 50 pounds of yeast and you're putting out a different product. That's probably not good for business in the long term. I've had the conversation a lot where, so why, like, from a business perspective, there's some things, now this isn't the same for everything, like, you know, Joey, Joey Riggio as, you know, Pizza Suprema, he does a pineapple pizza. Great pizza. I think he Great does, um, now I don't know for a fact, but we're, we're, I'm taking his word for it, um, he does a lot of those sales. If you're doing um, 8%, or even 5% of your sales in pineapple pizza and you take that off, that's not a good thing, right? But I know guys who they're like, they, they'll bring me in and they'll ask me and they're like, Nino, how do you, uh, how do you get so fair? How do you do so well? Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I make great product. I stand behind my products, blah, 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 blah. Now, one thing that like, if you have some sad looking barbecue pizza or buffalo chicken pizza or pineapple pizza, in your slice counter, which is the case in most places that you walk in, you see it in the window and it's two to four hours old. It looks fucking disgusting. You know what I'm saying? These guys, like, I, I'm not going to name who, but, I'll, uh, you know, I go into his place. I'm telling I, I say, like, listen, you got to get rid of all this stuff. He's like, no, but the people, they like it. All right, if the people like it so much, then why are you making half pies of each and not selling them all? Like, you're making four slices of each and not even selling them all during your lunch. So how much do they really fucking like it? Maybe you're full of shit a little bit. Maybe we should look at your POS and look at the real numbers because we're going to figure out real quick that, like, not only is it, like, less than 1% of your sales, these items, but it's, like, when it comes to the slice counter, it's point zero zero zero. Yeah, maybe you're making, you're making 30, 20 to 30 fucking plain pepperoni and these Man. other pies and you can't even sell four slices of each of these so you know what i mean you're like lost you're trapped in your own fucked up ideology and it's bad business where like when when i hear what you just said um you know what i'm saying like making sure everything's good and making sure that like you're not creating you mentioned twinkie before um but the consistency you're talking about in your product because you do change a lot of things a lot is it the exact same thing it's the but every single time it's delicious right you know what i'm saying right. you're going for i'm gonna make a great product it might not taste it's the same a month from now or a year from now but it's always gonna be delicious and i'm going down that road and that's where the consistency is it's consistently great ingredients it's consistent yeah. great techniques um but i think with people the the one of the biggest problems the reason why i tell like all right uh, um nino i'm losing a little bit of money on my pineapple pizza or whatever why should i get rid of it if i get a couple customers that like it well because you're never going to get rid of it about in thrillist or eater or anything like that because somebody's going to walk into your place they're going to see this they're going to see this sad 
disgusting buffalo chicken, whatever. Yeah. They're going to see the stale bread with your chicken cutlet, whatever. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, you, you got to shorten uh, your menu up. You got to. You know, just like uh, any really good re- uh, sit down restaurant, upscale restaurant, um, a lot of them have seasonal menus yeah. spring, summer, fall, whatever. Why not with the pizza? You know, right. it's not having a constant same pizza all the time. Change it, change it up. You know, have a seasonal menu. What, what's, what's, what's up? Uh, the other, are the root vegetables in? Are the flowers in? You know, you know what I'm saying. Just use what's what's available for the season. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's really about it. I mean, you know? I, I mean, agree. You keep sticking f- with the same thing. You know, I just yeah, I pineapple pizza. I mean. I mean, hey, says each his own, I guess. That's what they say in Italian, right? Yeah. Says each his own. I mean, you know, I mean, hey, you can't, you know. Yeah, but if it's going to hurt your ability to get, like, real media and stuff like that. Well, yeah, I mean. Um, hey. Because that's a that's a fact. Like, yeah. it's like there's guys that do weird things. Um, you know, uh, Tony Bologna in Hoboken, for instance. Right. You know, he's got his ramen pizza. He's got those pineapple things. But he's known for that stuff. He's right. known for making weird things. So he's like, he's doing everything weird. So the media, like, kind of latches onto that. But if you're, like, an Italian or Italian-American and your counter looks fucking sad, you know what I mean? And, and you can't talk about your products with pride. You know what I mean? That's another big thing that I'm like, I'm like, listen... Uh, you know, to some of these guys, I'm like, I mean, figure out what you got to figure out. May, I mean, maybe it's your flour, maybe it's your cheese, maybe it's your tomatoes, the stories behind those ingredients. Yeah. Um, it's your technique. I mean, maybe it's two of these things, maybe it's all those things. Right. But it's uh, it's got to be the uh, you know you got to put those things. And, in and, there. And, and, and you know, these a lot of these pizza operators, right? They you know they always look at the toppings as 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 a new pizza. Mm-hmm. They never look at the dough. Yeah. They never look at the dough. I mean, well, there's so much. Changing, you can, thanks God, but yeah, yeah no, but, just, so but if you go to massive, if you go to ninety percent of the places in the tri-state, and you talk to one of these old Italian guys, you know what I mean? Like yeah, they no, don't. And and uh, I'm gonna put this out there right now. Any guy, literally anybody out there that has been in business for more than, like, we're gonna call it twenty years, right? If you've had a pizza in the tri-state area for more than twenty years. And you want to learn? I will literally come out to your store and I'll give you, I'll teach you for free. All right, because I wanna, I wanna keep the knowledge in mm-hmm. with the guys that have been blood, sweated, tears forever. Because you know these new guys are coming out and they're great. Um, and I, I, I stand behind them. I don't have anything against them, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I mean, I, I want to make sure that, um, you know, the guys that have been doing it for a long time, if they want. If they want the knowledge, if they want to know, you know, the science behind this. I mean, what people don't realize is like a lot of these guys that ended up owning pizzerias, whether they were off the boat from Italy or whatever. I mean, that was like, do you become, uh, do you work the docks as a longshoreman? Do you do concrete or do you do pizza? These aren't guys that went to culinary school or knew anything. Right. You know what I'm saying about right. this? This was a job. So it's like, you know, it's. You know, we were able to create something great. Like, I think that's the main reason why, um, you know, everybody says the water, the water. Well, then why do you have great pizza in fucking Jersey if it's the water? Because it's yeah. different water. And New York water has changed a million times. I mean, I think it's two things. I think one, you know, you if you look at when we were talking to Joe and now talking to you, and it's like, 
you know, your uncles came over. They had a couple buddies that were doing it. They went to their thing and they learned from them. They opened their own places. When you talk to Joe, you know, his, um, his, I don't know, his uncle or his father's business partner was like JMV's Pizza, which is one of the original slice joints in all of America. And it's just like all these guys, when you go back far enough, they're all kind of connected to each other. Yeah. So they all kind of like, they figured something out and, you know, whatever, whatever. And now we've taken that to the next level. Um, but a lot do of those actually, guys are still around. Do we take it to the next level or are we going back to how it was pre-refrigeration and pre- I don't think we're going, well, in a way, you know but saying? we have, we because have. Because pizza was really different back then, man. It was the, almost every single pizzeria was delicious, crunchy, cooked great, you know? See, that's how, that's how I thought for a long time. And now my thinking's kind of changing on that in a way, right? So... Yes, did did bakeries and pizzerias change from, you know, kind of a more wild yeast fermentation to like a, a commercial yeast fermentation? And then it, and then maybe it was a mix for a while. And did that changing to like just putting a bunch of commercial yeast mm -hmm. in um, change the product for the worse? I mean, low moisture mozzarella wasn't always around. Right. Right, well, you know? but, but low moisture mozzarella is delicious and great. You use it now? No, I do. No, yeah. no, we we all use it now. But prior to this, prior to the, uh, to, to uh, making, they use fresh mozzarella, dry, yeah. dried out. Yeah, Everybody but it's oil can. Everybody but, had the oil can. But what's but but low moisture mozzarella? I don't think that's a bad thing. Yeah, no, I'm not saying it's a difference or anything like that. But it's just, just an it, aged mozzarella is all it is. As long as you're getting it from a company that's not putting a million things if the if if the ingredients are salt milk enzymes and that's it like grande cheese then you're fine if you're buying a low moisture mozzarella from a grocery store that's got 20 ingredients in it uh, obviously that's a different thing right. um but i mean it, it's i think it's not as simple like the more research i've been doing on it it's it's kind of like when you using the commercial yeast and and taking advantage of that aeration um does can add better flavors like through you know the carbon dioxide development and making those flavors more available to your palate um but when you switch from fermenting a product to aerating a product because that's essentially what you're doing if you if you add if you take a 50 pound bag of flour and you add uh 10 to 14 ounces of yeast to it you're not fermenting anymore which now you have a product that's not digestible and then that's right, you know right. the gluten's not broken down you don't have uh lactic acid to make resistant starches so you have um a very high glycemic index product um you guys could Google that if you don't know what the fuck right. I'm talking about. And, and, um, and, and, pause and, the show. And, and and you know as well as I know that fermentation does something to the digestibility. Right. It, well, you're breaking down um, uh, the gluten structure into a digestible. You're breaking down the gluten into a digestible form where, so where you just yeah, put a bunch it. of yeast. But I think there's, yeah, I mean, there's something in between both. So I'm not sure if it was better back then. We're, we're going back to that in a way, but I think we're also moving forward in a way because, I mean, the things that we understand now about fermentation, first of all, like, I mean, refrigeration is a huge tool. 
and and it's not I don't think I don't look at I used to look at it this way um, because I was taught this because when I first got into like the real pizza game and going into these expos and stuff like that, you know, and this is not the case today. If you go to like VPN or AVPN or like some kind of pizza school, they're telling you to almost 100 percent cold fermentation and use 100 percent yeast. They were telling me 15 years ago that you have to use a wood tray. You can't put it in the fridge at all. All right, but now you don't have lacto uh, fermentation, so it's not even like the refrigerator isn't even a thing in my head where it's like, um, you know, making a more consistent product. It does that, um, or or it's a thing where like, well, we're we're, we're selling two hundred pies. We need the refrigerator. It wouldn't it's work control. without that. It's control. It, it's control, but it's also a tool, right? That's allowing you to get a different fermentation and it's allowing you to get that milkiness and that right, lacto. Right. It, it's another tool in your arsenal. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like it's another tool I agree. to exploit. Um, just like, I mean, you didn't have. Temperature is huge. I mean, temperature is huge. But like, not only do you have fermentation, which is a tool, but you also have the ability today to um, control your warm ferment temperatures right and even even air conditioning units that control the inside of your place to even if you don't have like uh i mean i know they're they're you know if you are able to create environment to raise your dough for three hours at 84 degrees that's going to be different than um you know what i'm saying doing it like in your normal ambient room temperature sure. but even your ambient room temperature is a fucking new thing how many spots had fucking like dope AC units, Mitsubishi AC units that were really controlling the temperature? Or was it based on how cold and hot it was outside? You know what I'm saying? Which gives you fucking no control and leaves it up to the fucking, you know, the weather and the yeast gods, right. let's say. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> Those yeast you gods. Know, Don't get them mad. These ovens weren't insulated. They were blowing out all this heat. Like, I... Yeah. I I mean, one of the fucking worst things about working in pizzerias in the summer was was just like you have these hot spots. So now you're like sweating, right? So the flour is getting on your arms and turning into dough because the flour is mixing with the fucking sweat and like now it's creating the <laughs> yeah, glutamine and glutamine yeah, yeah, yeah. on your yeah, arms. Yeah. And it's like You know, summertime I used to cut I used to shave my hair off in the summer. You have to. You have to. Bro, my hair was all burnt off from oh, like man. just being in the oven all the fucking time. It would just burn. I had I had my stripes. Everybody had their stripes, right? Oh yeah, the tiger stripe. I used to I have, have them on my hair. Look, everywhere. I still have some. Oh, yeah, look. Are, bro, I haven't used one of those ovens in so long and just yeah, they're still here from like back then. Oh my god, I had some stripes on here. I didn't think it was ever gonna go away, man. Yeah, a lot of bro, I had tiger stripes. The whole yeah. fucking my whole arm was. Now I just got a couple like I guess from where you know <laughs> different down. different kind of burns. Yeah, right. I don't know what they're from. <laughs> no, they're the same ones. They like never healed. But yeah, like, but it's incredible. Um, I wish I wish I definitely could go back in uh, you know the fifties and see how they did it. You know, I mean uh, that would have been a wild trip to see how. They oh did yeah, it. and you know what? I mean, did, we kind of figure it out. You know, like, but but even even you know back in the fifties till now, how many different types of flowers were they? I mean, there's so many different milled. I mean, we can types research of flour. That. See, see that. You know, was it one? Was it two? Was it three? See, that is something that you can legitimately find records and figure that out. Like it, so it wasn't like, all right. So the Vinny at JMV, right? 
what you can't do is you can't, um, unless you find Vinny and he tells you the truth, but there's probably like no existing records because, you know, I, I don't think there's a fucking like food bill from 1958 at J&V's at Bensonhurst. Do you know what I mean? Or 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 uh, a, a food bill from uh, Lombardi's in, in 1918. Yeah, what about so the... So you can't know... What about that guy in Midwood? Uh, Dom? Dom. I mean, I know what Dom uses. Well, we like, could, we could ask him when he opened up and uh, prior to that. Yeah, what but was going he on? was making a completely different pizza than he makes today. Back then. He was using different flat. Bro, the, the forest 15 years ago was a regular slice joint. They right. used to have fucking uh, shrimp, chicken, and veal parmesan heroes. They had regular cheese, grande cheese on the thing. That He only started making that pizza 15 years ago. I mean, he's been in business 49 years, but it was a regular neighborhood pizza shop. They had bacala on Sundays. I've seen nice. the old menu. Love you can it. look it up. I love bacala. But that's, that's another example, like the misconceptions. Like, people thinking i love dom and everything but it's a complete misconception that he's been making pizza with buffalo mozzarella and san marzano tomatoes and chopping basil and parmesan reggiano for the past 49 years no he's been making them pizza for 15 16 years um you know so pretty much like I, if you track the first article in the village voice he started making the pizza between six and 12 months before that after a trip to italy you couldn't when he started making that pizza, that was the first year when you can even go to a distributor and buy buffalo mozzarella. Mm. The only way, the only guys that had buffalo mozzarella before that were like Lydia and Mario and some other like uh, Ciprianis that they would FedEx it yeah. overnight from Italy. 100%. There was no like call Concadoro and get like a buffalo mozzarella or go to your Costco and I, like I buffalo mean, mozzarella I mean, even, was even, even burrata you couldn't get over here every Thursday we got the shipment straight from Italy for burrata and uh, it had to be gone that day or the next day also would get bad go bad so only Thursdays we serve burrata because it's right. the only time we could freaking get it now now you have all this burrata all over the place it's on the menus everywhere all day long but it's not the real burrata it's not what it what it is you got to get the one from Italy. Once you have the one from Italy, your life will be changed. You will be a new man. Right, 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 right. It's, it's, no, it's, 100%. It's, 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 it's a different... It's a totally different thing. It's a completely different thing. But, like, we can figure out... It's hard. you got to go down fucking rabbit holes. But the records and the information exist about, um, you know, what company was around in 1958. What products that they ha did they have? Is this, There's is, records. Is of this us. a job for Mr. Producer or? I mean, no. This is no, a job. This is we got to do this. Shit. This is Mr. Producer job. We got to do this shit or like Scott Weiner. I don't know. Somebody, somebody. Ah, but and we'll do it. We'll do it. We'll do it. We'll do it. We'll do it, and we'll write a book about it. I'm down to do it. We could write a book about it. You know what I'm saying? We'll no, give, we're gonna uh, do it. We're gonna do it. We'll give Brady a couple. We won't put Brady's name on it, but we'll give him a couple points under the table or something. <laughs> we'll give him a couple skull rolls. You know what I mean? We'll put his name on it, but we'll put like a letter on this page, another letter on that page. Brady's gonna. <laughs> Brady's gonna write a book when 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 he turns when he turns 50 years old and he's a famous filmmaker and he's gonna be like the greatest time of my life. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you know he's gonna write a book about. This, 2020 right? through 2025. <laughs> the Wonder Years by Brady. When I really grew up. Yeah. Uh, it's all good. Nino Caniglio has Love passed you, away, but let me tell you a little story about my time with Nino. <laughs> this is inside. Nobody knows. 
All right. <laughs> and on that note, I think that's a good ending. We're going to definitely have Mikey V back. Um, yo, thank you so much for thank coming you, on. Thank you, man. Thank you for thinking Bro, about me. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, 100%. We're going we're gonna to talk more about Mike's Pizza um, at another time. And uh, we're going to go eat some dinner now. Uh, yeah. We'll see you guys later. Have a good one. Bon ciao, ciao. Ciao. Oh, yeah.